Hey everybody, this month's episode of the Rotto Talks podcast is brought to you by Honey Buzz Fall Flavors, which is available for pre-order now in regular and deluxe editions. And I have talked about Honey Buzz in the past. I even did a run-through. This is a fantastic, crunchy worker placement game about honeybees collecting the pollen, making the honey, and selling it to all the woodland critters. But this new expansion adds so much leaves and fruit that give you a lot more flexibility and variety, but more importantly, what really gets me excited are the modules that let you sacrifice, or I should say retire your worker bees to be able to lock in extra objective victory points. This is one of my favorite mechanisms of all time, and I cannot wait to try it in a game that was already absolutely fantastic. Like I said, it is available for pre-order now at honeybuzz.rado.com. There's a regular and a deluxe edition, and it looks cool. And folks, let's get going. Happy New Year. It's the first episode of 2023. And oh my gosh, it's a big one. You folks really submitted a ton of questions to email address questions at rotto.com. Keep them coming, please. Um, and I think I think this episode's like three hours long, the longest one we've had in a while. And I think this is the biggest collection of game-related questions that Jen was able to weigh in on. So that was a lot of fun. So like always, first I'm going to do some game-related questions Jen didn't care about. Then Jen will be here for a whole bunch more game stuff. And then we will conclude with our personal Q&A as always. And hopefully you enjoy, folks. Sit back, get comfortable, and we'll get going right after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, folks, got a bunch of good questions this month. Thank you. But as always, keep those questions coming. You know what to do. But without further ado, let's hit all the game stuff. And after I'm done with these, then Jen will join me for some more game stuff. And then we'll do the personal Q&A. So starting with a question from Alex A., because I cannot say Alex A's name because it'll wake up my personal digital assistant. Alex A could, said I could use her boyfriend's name, Dave, but she wrote it. So I'm saying Alexa. Alexa says, have you ever considered getting some sort of paid game design consultancy since you always have insightful feedback for publishers and designers? Yes, Alexa, I have. Um, in fact, I've had one semi-official job offer. I don't know if I should... Uh, a few years ago, I was sitting down with Ryan Lockett of Red Raven Games and giving him a lot of feedback on Sleeping Gods before it went live on Kickstarter and saying, uh, you know, and because Sleeping Gods originally was going to be a solo and two-player game only and Ryan couldn't quite crack the code of how to make it work for more players and stuff. And so I gave him some feedback and he loved it and uh, Suzanne Sheldon and I sat down and played and he took notes and after all that was over, I think the next day he came over to me and said, this is at a board game convention, hey, if you ever want to do this, what you just did for me yesterday professionally, let me know. And I'm like, oh, Red Raven Games is one of my favorite publishers. So I don't know if that's still a standing offer, but 
I, I got it, I, I, it, I've got that going for me. Um, and also another one. One time I was sitting down with John D. Clare, the designer, and John Zinzer of uh, of uh, AEG, and we were playing some prototype of one of John's games. And John said to John, the designer said to AEG president, "You know, you should really hire him to be a developer for all the two-player content because." he gets it right every time and it would make all your games better. And John Zinzer said, mm, interesting and stroked his chin and all that. Now, if I recall correctly, I think John Zinzer has now stepped down. So maybe I don't have that going for me anymore, but it's something that might happen. I might consider doing somewhere down the road. If I ever completely stop doing Rotto runs through. Um, but I, it would feel kind of weird being an actual game developer and a game videographer at the same time. Um, you know, it feels like that's maybe like, you know, a line, you know, you, you shouldn't cross those streams, but honestly, I think I would really enjoy it. I think I'd have a great time doing it and I think I'd be really good at it too. So Alexa, it might be something I do somewhere in the future. Watch this space. Uh, Ben says, you said that Isle of Cats explore and draw now replaces, uh, Isle of Cats. Well, I, I'm keeping both for the record. Uh, Isle of Cats is still great, but if I could only keep one, I would keep explore and draw. Ben continues, is that including the expansions for the original Isle of Cats? If so, do you feel the expansions improve the standard game or detract from it? Don't recall them ever being mentioned in a roundup or preview video. So maybe I missed it. You didn't miss it. I have not played Isle of Cats with the expansions. And that's definitely on my list of things to do. I've got, any, at any given time, anywhere between 50 and 100 games in my queue that I have to play, and that includes expansions, and I definitely want to give them a go because they look great. Who knows? Maybe those would push... Isle of Cats back up above uh, Explore and Draw, the roll and write version of Isle of Cats. But I have not played them, so I cannot say. But I really, really want to. They seem very, very cool. Okay, Cameron has a few questions. Question number one. Why did I do a top 44 games for 2023? Was there a significant reason for the number? Or was it simply the number remaining once you eliminated all my normal caveats? Um, it's that. I, uh... You know, I mean, obviously, I did my top 10, but then I talked to, I ranked 44 or 34 more games. So I had a top 44, um, which I'm sure everybody's seen. I mean, if you, if you check out the podcast, I'm sure you must not have missed my top 44 game preliminary list for 2024. But no, it was totally random. And in fact, I was really, it didn't even occur to me, but it wasn't until I started recording that, I, that it occurred to me, oh, Hey, my top 44 games for the year 2022, 22, 44. Hey, that's kind of a nice little bit of symmetry, but it was totally random. And of course, I'm still going to keep playing 2022 games. I've got a bunch more that might make their way in. Um, so, which is why I will do a follow-up. And it won't be a 44 anymore, I think, by the time we get to April and I do my follow-up for the best of 2022. Second question from Cameron. Have I heard about Earthborn Rangers due to be delivered in 2023 to backers? Do you have initial, com or, or initial comments? Well, he sent me a link. And I think I do. Because actually, I've already talked about this. Earthborn Rangers, but I'll bring it back on screen for people who are watching instead of listening. I admit, this looks very, very cool to me um, because it is a deck builder from a whole bunch of designers, including the Saddlers, that, if I recall correctly, really has a wonderful focus on um, personality. 
that your deck represents everything that not, doesn't just represent my strengths and weaknesses, but represents my life story of my character as I play through a campaign game and these massive events become cards that I will call upon. I love that idea. The gameplay looks very sharp. Uh, it looks very, very pretty. The mechanisms, I think everything about it looks great. And I've already talked about it in, at length. Uh, so you just got a sneak peek for my January Rotto Ramble, which is if you back at the uh, Rambler level um, on Patreon or the uh, more Rotto level on YouTube, you saw me talk about 50 additional games uh, for 2023 that I think look great, including Earthborn Rangers. I'm excited about it. I hope they send me a review copy because I'd love to check it out. Right. Okay. Let's go back to the questions. Oh, but oh, you had some context. You mentioned Revive and Shapers of Gaia in my preliminary top 10. Uh, Earthborn Ranger seems very similar to those. Plays similar to Arkham Horror, El the living card game. Players aren't required to go kill everything. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's a lot that Earthborn Rangers looks really, really good to me. Uh, I recalled you liked the Arkham Horror uh, card game design, but not the setting. The time commitment would prevent... Uh, you know, like I said, I do want to deep dive into this one. Um, oh, who were you asking? Uh, Cameron. I do look forward to giving it a try. Okay, next up, David says, I've been watching your run-through for years. I've come to develop a good understanding of the things you like and don't like. Puzzly decisions, randomized setup, imperfect communication, altruistic actions, uh, disliking roll to resolve, board traversal, kicking down sandcastles, dueling wizards. Because your preferences, Rado, are so transparent, it's easy for me to understand your rankings and final thoughts. It's easy for me to pick out your recommendations based on the Venn diagram of my uh, interest to yours. However, I don't have so much of a connection with your contributors yet. Would you break down your contributors? Shay, Ruel, Kimberly, Amy and Maggie, um, uh, Grant, in a similar fashion for their likes and dislikes, from your own understanding, of course. See, that's going to be hard. I am such a myopic, pigeonholed gamer. Because I really do... I mean... I, you know, all the Venn you know, diagrams, you know, they just make, I, I, I have like, I'm again, myopic. There's no better term for it. Everybody else on my channel are true Omni gamers. They love everything. They love fighting. They love euros. They love narrative adventure games. They love party games. They all love everything. I am the only one. And that's one of the reasons I wanted more people on my channel, so that they could actually talk and demonstrate um, cool stuff that I would never cover in a million years. Now, Shay, the reason, one of the main reasons he came on is because if you look at his own channel, RTFM, he really has a penchant for big... Uh, I mean, uh, Twilight Imperium 4 is his favorite game of all time. And, um, you know, his most popular game video of all time was his How to Play. It's uh, the most highly regarded How to Play for Twilight Imperium 4 there is in the internet. And um, so he likes that kind of thing. Big, bombastic, uh, heavy games with a lot of moving pieces, a lot of Meritrash-style stuff merged with Euro-y things. But the interesting thing is, as he's been doing for now a few years on my channel more and more stuff... I've been seeing him getting drawn more and more and more to Euro stuff, the kind of stuff I like. Uh, it used to be, hey, Shay's always going to have all these other ones to cover, but more and more he kind of tends to cover the things that I would tend to cover because I don't know if... I'm not. I'm sure I'm not rubbing off on or anything like that, but uh, uh, Kimberly is such an odd duck. She loves everything too. She really loves narrative gameplay. She really loves heavy Euros. Um, really quite a bit. But she loves party games too. I mean, uh, Kimberly is a pure 
I mean, if you look, I mean, you can go to Tabletop Tolson, and she's done like her top 20 of all time with her and her husband. And if you look at it, it's just like, oh, it's just all over the place. Um, same for Ruel. If anything, I would say Ruel probably doesn't go in for the super heavy stuff quite so much. He looks for more kind of gateway stuff, stuff he can play with his wife. But his wife likes crunchy goodness too. Um, but yeah, I think he's maybe a little bit more part. And certainly Grant is, if, if there's anybody who I would pigeonhole besides me, it is Grant. Grant does not go for heavy games at all. It's very rare he finds one he likes. He loves party games. He designs party games. He's ha- had a very successful first one called Curmudgeon. And his second one is about to be published. And he says it's even better. So he is all, I mean, Grant, I would say his tastes are kind of closest to shut up and sit down. Um, in that they're all about, you know, games to bring people together around the table and just have fun experiences. And yeah, I'll dabble in more complex stuff or euro stuff, but really, where's the joy and the fun? That's all I can give you, though. Because, but really, unlike me, all of them have expressed love for all kinds of things. The only one I would say is maybe limiting is Grant, I think, really stays away from heavy euro stuff. But he likes light euro stuff. Uh, he likes, uh, you know, atmospheric euro stuff, too. Okay, Gerald notes that Marvel Champions has plummeted in my rankings. I've mentioned my dislike of some of the expansions. Since expansions impact a game's rating for me, normally pushing them up, that's true, would getting rid of some or all Marvel Champion expansions slingshot it back into the ratings? No, because you have to understand, um, Marvel Champions is a living card game. It's as far... I mean, if I were to judge, when I... Judged when I put the original Marvel Champions, the starter box, in my literal top 10 games of all time. It was both because of the content in that box and because of the promise that the game makes to continue to provide new content of that quality moving forward. And if they had been able to stick to what makes their game truly unique and special it would probably still be in my top 10 games of all time. But I don't think you can judge a living card game like Arkham Horror, the living card game, or um, Magic the Gathering off of just a small handful of starter decks, which is what you'd be doing if you were just judging Marvel Champions. Marvel Champions, out of the box, was one of the 10 best experiences I've ever had playing games. And it almost immediately started going downhill as the developers... With successive uh, expansion after expansion after expansion, kept moving farther and farther and farther and farther away from what makes the game special. So, when it became obvious to me with the most... Because re- I've actually stopped with uh, the Mutant Genesis stuff because I was like, oh my gosh, the stuff here, no, no, no. I'm not even going to play this. Um, it had gone so far from the promise it originally had that I said, okay, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop collecting it, and my ranking of it is where I would have ranked it, based on just the starter box, because the starter box, if no expansion existed, is kind of like Dominion with no expansions. It's great, but it has a really hard half life. You will only get so much. It needs more content to survive, and if the content could have even held a shadow, to how good the original, what came in the box was. Then, but anyway, that's why it has fallen because I am now ranking it based on only the starter box, effectively. Because I used to rank it based on the promise of getting more of that, and it has failed to deliver on that promise. So that's Marvel Champions. 
I see other channels mention turning on Klingon subtitles for goofs. Is that a standard thing, or did you start that trend? And what about deaf people in other countries that don't uh, read English, uh, but do read Klingon? Um, I created that, yes. What happened was, YouTube used to have an awesome system called annotations, where if I made a mistake, I could add, or Paulo could add an annotation, and it would pop up. Now, there were problems with the annotation system. One, they only appeared on browser. They did not appear on TVs. They did not appear on smartphones. Another one is a lot of bad actors. Another problem was the annotations could be used to put links. So that if you clicked on an annotation, you'd go to a website. And so what happened? A lot of bad actors started putting full screen annotations that were invisible. You couldn't see them. And uh, people would accidentally click on them. And it would take them to a virus-strewn website. And that was bad. So, YouTube killed it. Rather than fixing it, because why didn't they just fix it? It was one of the best systems they've ever had. To be fair, YouTube ki kills awesome uh, functionality all the freaking time. But this one really killed for channels like mine, where I need to have a way to tell you, hey, I made a mistake. And a lot of other channels do it too, as you say. And a lot of us were using annotations, and then just one day, they were just gone instantly. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? Is this literally the end of my channel? Because I'm still going to make mistakes, and people never read show notes ever, no matter how much you tell them to do it. Uh, have you read the show notes for this video? I bet you haven't, uh, if you're on YouTube. Um, and then it occurred to me, oh, subtitles. Okay, per perfect. So I had to decide. And I, I, I tell me if I was right or wrong down in the comments, folks, if you're not listening to this as a podcast. I could have chosen, I, I figured, okay, it's got to be subtitles for a language that doesn't exist. Because you know, I'm not going to do Cameroon or um, French or something like that. Because who knows? Maybe someday. I mean, a lot of my videos have Korean and Japanese subtitles and Russian subtitles and German subtitles that people have submitted and I've turned on. Um, but there's never going to be any Klingon. And I thought, so I either was, I was going to do Klingon or Esperanto. And I'm really curious. Should I have done Esperanto? At the end of the day, tell everybody, if you tur to turn on your Esperanto ch uh, uh, subtitles, I didn't think anybody would even know what I was talking about because most people don't know what Esperanto is. So I went with Klingon. And almost immediately, John Gets Games and... Um, Tom Heath, Slicker Drips, they reached out and said, oh my God, we were terrified. That's perfect. Do you mind if we do that? And I'm like, no, of course. Let's make this the thing. And so they both started doing it. And nowadays, it seems like half the channels out there do it now. But yeah, it's uh, it, it came about out of necessity because... It's just absolutely ridiculous that they killed... I mean, annotations were so much better. I wish annotations were still here, but... Um, oh, but anyway, you had another question, which is very good. And I'm glad you asked. Let me find a video with some subtitles. Do, do, do. Uh, or my channel. Uh, what did I do? What did I, I, just, I just made Adewa live today, right? Or, or Edewa, Edewa, right. Um, Uwe Rosenberg. Let me bring that up on screen. That just went live this morning. Okay. And you can, I don't need to hear you. I need to see you. And, um, right. Uh, okay. So, subtitles. Yeah, okay, cool. This will work, this will work. All right, so, coming back over to the view. And don't worry, folks, I... Oh, what? Where'd my browser go? And when you know, my phone just started ringing. What is happening? All right, there's the browser. And I don't know who that is. So they can leave a message. Whew, that was close. All right, so here's Edouard. And my ear keeps falling out of my ear. So, um... All you gotta do is just push the button and Klingon subtitles are on or off. Here we are at the beginning, and you can see, look, there it is. Paulo's opening line saying, hey, be sure to try... Uh, if, you, if you notice any mistakes, let me know. And whatever mistakes there are, right? But what if you wanted to go to 
English auto because you're literally deaf because YouTube does a pretty good job of automatically generating subtitles. They do a really great job. There's something about my voice and my diction that makes them very rarely make mistakes. So what if you want to know about the goofs, but you need to be able to read this or you're looking at one of my videos that has German subtitles or something like that. Mo almost nobody knows about this. And I really, I need to somehow, I need to make a video demonstrating this, but I'll demonstrate it now. On any video on YouTube, if you're in a browser, click the little dots, show transcript, and let me go ahead and shrink this down a bit so you can see the transcript. Come on. And what happens is, hey, here's the video, here's the subtitles, and over here is a transcript of all those subtitles. And you can click the dots there and say, hey, you, or no, where can you click it? You can click over here and say, oh, I would like the uh, transcript to be all of the goofs. So you can just see all of my goofs right there. Or you can say, oh, I'd like the transcript to be the English auto-generated, and then I'd like the goofs to appear um, on the actual video. And so I could switch back. So boom. Uh, now, you're not going to be bothered things, and um, when I make a mistake, it'll pop up here. But if you need to read along, you'll see that over here. It's freaking awesome! This transcript feature that nobody knows about. And that's why I, I really do need to make the time to let people know. Um, I mean, you know, uh, because it's really, really useful for the exact reason you bring up. So that's, that's something. So I'm glad you asked, uh, Gerald. But anyway, continuing on, let me get back to the Word document. Okay, so next one, X-Men Mutant Insurrection. I find it plays great with five heroes. In this game, it seems easier to use five heroes, even solo, than playing five-handed with Pandemic or any hero. Right, uh, X-Men Re uh, Resurrection, that was the one that's basically Elder Sign turned into X-Men co-op, right? I can see that. Yeah, I can see how... If I, if I was a game where I had to control five characters, I'd want to do it there. And it is certainly a game that benefits from having more than two or one or two characters. Uh, it's a bit like playing f placing five workers in Feast for Odin. Quicker, actually. And even more similar to a game where you have five asymmetrical workers. Should you have given this an exception pass, and would you be more open-minded with similar game designs in the future? Oh, because you're referring to the fact that I have often mentioned that one of the things I do not like to do is play a game. Fury of Dracula is the go-to example for this. Where, oh, Fury of Dracula should be played by five players, with one player being Dracula and four other people being the four hunters. But what do they do in a two-player? One player is Dracula, and one player has to control four hunters. And these hunters, each one of them, is incredibly complex. They all have their own hand of cards and special powers, and trying to keep them all straight is ridiculous. It is absurd. It is objectively bad design, in my opinion. Not subjectively, but objectively bad design. And so... That's the worst case example of it. But you're right, there are plenty of games where, hey, to be able to play two player, each player has to, con I mean, there are all four characters are going to be there, and each player has to control two. And I'm generally not a fan of that. I always tend to think it's a little lazy. It's interesting, I don't believe X Men Mutant Resurrection even suggests this. Mutant Resurrection lets you play with only two people, and I respect them for that. But I, I can see you're right, it probably works great. And the thing is, yes, the closer it gets, to being where, you know what, just controlling one character is kind of shallow. I kind of feel like I need to control two characters to actually have a deep experience. And it sounds like that's kind of what X-Men Mutant Resurrection gives you. And that's great. I got a problem with that. Especially because the reason I, there's two reasons I dislike it. One, 
it can just be bad design, like in the case of Fury of Dracula. I'm having one player control like three or four players worth of stuff and keep it all straight in their heads. It's absurd. It's a bad design. But the other reason is because I personally don't like the idea of feeling like, oh, I'm not that character. I am some general armchair general ordering all the characters to do. Like you said, that's what a worker placement game is. I'm not the workers. I'm ordering. I'm the worker's boss. Now, here's the deal. In X-Men Mutant Resurrection, it makes a lot more sense because I can pretend I'm Professor X. And then suddenly, oh, I am in the world. So that there have been games, like um, Space Hulk Death Angel is a great example. If you're playing with less than five players, you have to control multiple squads of, of Marines, and that's fine. Because they say right from the get-go, the fiction of this game is you are not the Marines. You're that stupid, useless lieutenant in the van issuing orders while the Marines are out fighting the aliens. What was his name? Burke? No, that was the... That was the slimy corporate lawyer. Uh, but you know what I mean. Um, and I, so I think it works great there. So if you're going to do that, like uh, you've made up your own house rule that sounds fantastic, work it into the fiction of the game. Tell me, hey, you can play as Professor X and control all of them. And like, yeah, I'm on board. Unless the other problem exists. So anyway, that's how that goes. That's how that shakes out for me. Moving on. Greg says, in episode 91, you talked about house rules for Wingspan with Nectar, that's the Oceana expansion. Can you explain what you would change with Oceana or Nectar in general? No, I won't, because it wasn't my idea, and I want to give credit where credit is due. So let's go to Board Game Geek, Oceania. Is that how you spell it? Uh, yes, it is. All right, let's come back to the browser, and let's go to Wingspan Oceania, and then let's go to the forums. There we go. And, uh, right. oh, I need to go to, uh, not all board game forms, I need to go to Variants. Well, it is hard to do Board Game Geek. There it is. Okay, there we go. Variants. And it's going to be in here. It's, and it's, uh, let's see, I think if you actually sort this by hotness. Right, uh, no, it's not that one. But I bet you it's the most popular one. Uh, give me a compact view. How can I sort this? Top. There you go. Yes, it is the top with three pages of responses, 77 thumbs, the highest ranked variant on BoardGameGeek. If you go to the Oceania forums variants, Nectar Not Wild, the house rule you've been waiting for. Because you're right. I mean, I think the, the, uh, they're fine, but they make the game way too easy. And the whole game becomes about collecting nectar. And they so supplant everything else. And Jake Conde here, he posted this. Um, and uh, yeah, if you just want to scroll down to the bottom, he, he gives all his logic, all his reasoning. But the variant is incredibly simple. Basically, don't change anything about the nectar other than it does not count as a wild resource. So it still has a lot of functions. There are things that require Nectar. Nectar can still use as a stand for other things. You can combine Nectar, all that stuff. It just doesn't also become a wild resource, which is the thing that makes it so incredibly powerful that everything else falls away. It's as simple as that. Although he goes into a bit more detail, and there's three pages of people discussing it, and it's a fantastic thread, and I recommend it to anybody. Nectar Not Wild, the house rule you've been waiting for from Jake Conde. Did a great, great job. Good job, Jake. That's how you'll find it, Greg. I didn't fish for you. I taught you how to fish, hopefully. So, moving on, we've got Matthew, who says, One, 
I considered doing a Rado talks through for other contributors. Have, have I considered doing a Rado talks through for other contributors? Oh, bringing other contributors onto the podcast. I'm thinking something along the lines of you advertise, uh, you know, this month Ruel will t- oh, be on the podcast and everyone should submit questions for Ruel. You could use these uh, months to lighten your load while traveling or collect enough questions for when you have a light month. It's a good idea. It's certainly something I do. Here's the thing. I've actually started doing combined um, final thoughts with them. I'm actually going to be doing one with Shay this week for Empire's End. And that does prove to be so hard to schedule. Oh, it's hard. But I see what you're saying is something different. I would just get... They would record themselves. Okay, here's the other problem. I pay my contributors. And I pay them very well. Like, really, really well. And the thing is... I don't make that much money off of Rotto Runs Through when it boils right down to it. And a lot of it, um, the majority of the money I make off this channel doesn't come to me. It goes to them. So for me to do that, I would want to pay them. And it would be that would, you know, especially because something like this, where I'm asking them to sit down and really think hard for two hours about really heavy, weighty topics. I'd want to pay them well for it. And you know what? Money's tight. So I don't think that actually works. It's a good idea, but uh, yeah, I, I just don't know. Um, I do like the idea of it though quite a bit. But honestly, doing the podcast is one of the easiest things in the world I can do. I don't have to stream it live. I can, I can do I've done it sitting in the front seat of a car in the past and just, you know, uh, put in a mic and plugging it directly into a laptop. So, um, I mean, what are, you, are you trying to make me lose my job? It is a good idea though, Matthew. If any of them ever asked, if any of them said, hey, I'd love to be on the podcast sometime, of course, I would have them on in a heartbeat. I would absolutely love to have a long, extended conversation with Amy and Maggie, even if it means I have to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to work it out for them since they're in Australia. But, um, yeah, it's just, I just... I, I only have so much money to pay them is the problem. I, I, I don't make you know, quarter of a million dollars like, um, Dice Tower does when they do their crowd hunting. I mean, I'm not, I'm not quite as big a fish as that. Um, right. But I'm still trying to do right by them. Just like Tom tries to do right by all of his people. All right. What are my thoughts on big box games? Uh, by that, uh, James means, uh, both base game with multiple expansions together in a big box and also large, mostly empty box that will hold all the stuff already released and may or may not include new content. Some examples I'm thinking are Dominion, Everdell, Wingspan. Uh, did you ever do you did you ever think our hobby would reach the point where a giant Wingspan box that includes just an expansion priced at $100 would sell 10,000 copies in 6 hours with enough demand for an immediate reprint for just the box? Wow, is that the case? Oh yeah, yeah I skipped over you said Wingspan was they released just a box with some dividers and trades at the same time they released the Asia expansion. I did not know that. I think I don't want big boxes. I want small boxes. Nothing makes me happier than expansions that can fit inside the original Ticket to Ride-sized or Agricola-sized box. Um, at one point, I did have the big box Suburbia that was like, you know, the size of three boxes, all kinds of trays and all, and it was beautifully done. I thought I was really impressed by it. And because of that, I got rid of my autographed Ted Bezier autographed original version of Wingspan that was a Ticket to Ride size box that fit everything in there just fine. And ultimately I decided this other box is too freaking big. I got to get a Suburbia box back and get all those expansions back now because I don't want these gigantic boxes. So I personally, I hate them. They're not necessary, but I am uh, an extreme hater 
not hater. I am have uh, completely disinterested in really elaborate storage things where all kinds of stuff gets put away in just the right place and all of that. To me, I hate it because it makes putting the game away take forever. And at the end of the game, I'm exhausted. The last thing I want to do is sort everything out. I just want to put a bunch of stuff in baggies, throw them back in the box. I have a lot more energy for that when I start playing a game and I can sort things rather than at the end of the game. So... Yeah, and honestly, I had no idea that a $100 wingspan box sold 10,000 units. Jeez. But I am... Uh, far be it from me to try to tell people what they should or shouldn't like. I realize for a lot of people, organization is... I mean, there's in America, there's a very successful chain called the Container Store that exists for no reason other than to sell you a million different little containers so you can organize your life. And obviously it's successful. Obviously people's, some people's brain chemistry makes them want to live that way. And I would not want to take that away from them. So if that box makes them happy and makes them appreciate Wingspan more, that's great. My brain chemistry is different. I like big piles of stuff. And I don't mind just throwing them all back in baggies. Because, hey, you know what? I, can, I don't have to have everything sorted out into little sub-piles. I can just look in the big pile and find the thing rather than spend five minutes sorting everything out. So... That's weird. I had no idea things had gotten that far. But for me, more than anything else, all that other stuff aside just comes down to practicality. I only have so many shelves. I will always take the smaller box option if I can, just as a practical uh, thing. Okay, Ramon says, what Twa-like game would you recommend that is similar uh, to the mechanics and dynamics, but perhaps a notch down in complexity or even similar to? I love Twa, but my wife finds it a bit too complex, so it doesn't get to the table as much as I love. Thank you. Well, I, I, I can't say Black Angel, which is too bad. Black Angel would be the obvious choice, because Black Angel is basically Twa 2 in space. But it's even heavier and more complex, so forget about that. I can think of one. I'm really terrible at this. What I would really suggest you do, Ramon, is go to faq.rado.com, entry number 6. Let me bring that up on screen for people who are looking. Uh, here it is, faq.rado.com, number one, two, three, four, five, six. Nope, not number six. Number five. Number five is, I love insert game here. What should I buy? And my answer is, don't ask me, man. Use the hive mind of BoardGameGeek. Follow this link that will take you to a forum on BoardGameGeek where you can ask that exact same question and you will get a hundred awesome answers within a couple of days. Much better than I could ever answer you. So I, I still stand by that, Ramon. Go to faq.raw.com, entry number five, and follow the link and you will get more answers than you need. But all that said, I can think of one. I don't think it's out yet. Or maybe, you know, it maybe just came out or it's about to come out encyclopedia. If what you love about Twa is the idea that, hey, everybody's got their own dice and you can bundle your dice with other people's dice and, and you know, like the dice are, even though I own dice, they're really part of a communal pool. If that's what you really love, you might want to try encyclopedia. It's not as heavy as Twa, but it's still driven by that same core idea. And I know there are other games that do this as well, but I can't think of it. I can only think of encyclopedia, which is just now coming out and you might want to take a look at that. I've done a run through if you'd like to see more. Okay, finally, this is the last... No, we have two more. Almost done. Coming back to the word doc. Will says, since you mentioned your preliminary top 10 includes Jen's preferences. Yes, it does. I always do that in all my rankings. What is my personal top 10 for 2022? Why do I combine them? I combine them because 
Well, okay, the perfect example is this. My number one game for 2022 was actually Stars of Akarios. Boom. I think that game is amazing. I think that game is absolutely fantastic. I played it for almost a month solo while Jen was gone, um, you know, on a, on a trip. And I fell so hard in love with it. And then Jen came back and she played it and we couldn't play it together because it was very difficult for her to deal with the spatial positioning. She just, her brain didn't work that way and so it was frustrating for her. And so the thing is, I don't have the game anymore, right? It's gone because there's no reason for me to keep it if I'm, I'm not going to keep it to play it solo. If Jen doesn't want to play it somewhere down the road when we get more time, it's gone. So um, the thing is, I rely on keeping my collection up to date, um, if ever somebody asks you, hey, what's your favorite Feld game? Or, hey, what's your favorite Keysland game? Or, hey, what are your three favorite roll and write games? Because if you just go to rank.rado.com, you can find them all. But the problem is, sometimes games that I personally love, you won't find on the list. Or you'll, uh, because we literally didn't keep it because Jen didn't like it. Stars of Akarios is an example of that. And so that's why I made the decision that the list, rank.rado.com, is a reflection of me and Jen. So that I... Literally, my head won't explode trying to remember, oh, wait, don't forget, Stars of Akarios is really your favorite, even though it's not in your collection anymore, but somebody wants to ask, what's your favorite sci-fi game? And it'd be Stars of Akarios. I'm like, ah. So it's just for my own sanity, because um, if Jen doesn't like it, it doesn't stay in the house. doesn't matter how much I like it. And uh, so that would be an example. Were there any others like that? I don't think so. I think, I think the rest of my top 10 for 2022 would probably still stand. But let me take a look. Let's just go to games.rado.com, right? And go to the browser. No, 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 let's not go there. Let's go to top.rado.com because that will tell you, hey, I don't have any top games for 2023 yet, but here's all my, my top 10 for 2022. Um, let's see. Well, first of all, oh my gosh, would Carnegie get kicked out because Stars of Icarios punched its way in? In theory, it would, and that would not do. So uh, maybe it would. Um... Let's see here. What other stuff is here specifically because of Jen? Woodcraft. I love Woodcraft a lot, but Jen really, really, at her heart of hearts, loves Woodcraft. It was her favorite game of the year. Woodcraft might not have made my top 10. Because do I like, just for my own, if I, if I wasn't married to Jen and I was just playing with randos, do I like Woodcraft more Maybe, oh man, I'd, I'd have to go back and think about it. See, I haven't really thought about it that hard. It's, it's generally not the way I think. I always include Jen in my thinking. But Woodcraft maybe would move down a bit. Um, but I think all the rest of this would still be pretty much the same. Stars of Icarios would push its way up. Anything else push its, would try to push its way in? But it was a bit lower. Weather Machine might, because, oh my god, I think Weather Machine is fantastic. Jen's like, oh, I like this a lot, but boy, it's a bit. Weather Machine's down at number 19, because I'm taking into account. It would certainly push up. So there's some stuff like that, but it wouldn't be much of a change. Jen and I really do tend to agree most of the time. Okay, so, uh, but thank you for the question, Will. Love the show. Oh yeah, thank you, thank you. Okay, here we are, folks. Uh, Neil before Zod. Although, unfortunately, Zod, with two Ds, did not open his email like that, but he totally should have. But anyway, Zod has three questions. Are you fond of stealth-based video games? Ah, 
I've made a few. You might have heard of Siphon Filter. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's not my favorite genre, but I, I like it in theory. In practice, I find it. I tend to find it not my favorite, though, because it's hard to do it right, and I'm not a fan of how Metal Gear does it in video game form, where everybody just has constant amnesia and forgets about you. We, the way we did it in Siphon Filter was, hey, you sneak until you're caught. And then the gameplay changes, and you keep playing. That was realistic, and that's so I like the way I do it, but almost nobody does it the way we do it. Um, anyway, though, how about hidden stealth mechanisms in board games? I love it in theory, but in practice I can't, because every time we have ever gotten a hidden movement game, Jen insists on being the solid snake. Um, or the Gabe Logan, or whatever it is. She just does that, or, or the, the Frodo. We played the Lord of the Rings one a while ago. And she just, she has no interest in being the hunter. So I always have to play the hunter. And um, it's okay. But I'm really not a big, I, deduction is far from my favorite mechanism. It's really, I mean, I have more and more time. I mean, I thought Search for Planet X was brilliant, but it is a deduction game. I didn't keep it. So being a hunter is all about deduction. It's not my favorite mechanism. So, and since I never get to be the prey, uh, probably not that big a fan of them. Do, question number two from Zod. Do I think there's a lack of board games with stealth hidden movements? Geez, it feels like there's a lot of them. Seems like they come out all the time. And there's some really great ones. By far, the best... The, the, the two best ones are... Mind management is so freaking brilliant. so And it's worked so well for two. And even has an app that works so well. So you can even play it solo. Mind management. And then the other one is actually... A lot of people wouldn't consider it, but I'm going to say The Fugitive from Tim Fowers Games. Or just Fugitive. I think it's just Fugitive. It That's kind of stretching it, but I would consider it a hidden movement game for two players only, and it's brilliant as well. But I feel like there's there's lots of them. Or there's certainly enough, I would imagine, to, uh, to satiate the uh, desire from the audience. Question three. Any recommendations? Oh, well, hey, I think I already answered this one. For Stealth Mechanism. Preferably not one versus many, like Fury of Dracula, but one versus AI, as in Metal Gear Solid. Well, there aren't very many. What are... What are, what are well, okay, I'm going to teach you how to fish, Zod. Let's go back to Board Game Geek. Right? Alrighty, let's go to Board Game Geek. Well, first of all, as I said before, don't ask me, man. Go uh, FAQRado.com, question number five. Go to the recommendation form and you'll get a million answers. But in the meantime, another thing you do, go to Board Game Geek, go to, where is advanced search when you're zoomed in like this? It's not there. Oh, here it is. All right. Go to, okay, I don't want search. I want advanced search. Then go, uh, go expand uh, mechanic, should be mechanism or whatever, and um, find... Hidden movement. There it is right there. Mark that. And let's see here. Uh, oh, I just heard somebody uh, uh, whisper at me in the live chat. Black, Black Sonata, somebody suggested. And we'll see if they're right. Go advanced search. Ch click hidden movement. That's what you like. You like hidden movement games. Say number of players. One. And then say exact. This will give you a list of every hidden movement game that um, supports solo play. Which means you have to be able to play against an AI, right? Right. So, let's do this and submit. And what have we got? Right at the top, mind management. Number two, Black Sonata. My live stream audience made the good call. Black Sonata is very good. I did a run-through for it years ago. Stop Thief. If I recall correctly, Stop Thief also has a digital app. So you can use that to uh, sneak around. Uh, the Musketeers du Roy, or the, you know, 
Uh, oh, Sniper Elite is fantastic. If it has a solo mode, that's going to make that's as close as you can get to Metal Gear Solid in board game form. Kimberly did a great run through for the channel. She didn't play it solo. Um, I assume it must do an app as well. Submarine, um, Shinjutsuku, Chancellorville, 1830. I mean, and these are all just ones that play solo. City of the Great Machine, Patrol, Hogs of War, uh, Fury at Midway. Uh, gee, the list just keeps going and going and going and going. This must be like 50 or 60 games that you might want to take a look at. So, Zod, hopefully you've got a few things you might want to track down now. And an idea of how to find this stuff for yourself in the future. Always trying to teach people how to fish. That's me. Okay, folks, and that was it. But we're not done. We're about to get to Jen's questions. So hang on, and we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey everybody, okay, welcome back. We are about to continue with some gamer questions now that Jen is here, just off camera, with her cup of tea. There you go. Hello. There, there's her hand. <laughs> there, over, there, oh, over like this, there you go. There She's uh, bound and determined to wave it anywhere except for on camera. <laughs> you don't get to see her hand, let alone her new haircut she just got for her upcoming trip to Singapore. No, uh, Thailand. Thailand, I don't know why I keep saying Singapore. She's going to Thailand uh, for an international glass uh, symposium-y thing, right? Well, but that's not the there. Class. It's just a class. None of that has anything to do with games. Nothing um, to do with games. Yeah, if you folks have any questions about that, you better uh, send in some questions. The questions at raw.com. Jen, tell us more about your trip to Thailand. Because I believe you'll be back by the time... I would think so. Yeah, you'll be back. So, folks, if you have any questions about Thailand, you know who to ask. But... <clears throat> they're, they're, there you go. Just got to bring it back here, anybody. There you go. Okay. Uh, anyway, though, um, for now, we're going to continue with questions... I have no idea what's happened before because I've yet to live stream the main, the first portion of this. We're doing things out of order, as always. And a bunch of questions came in this month. Game mm. questions. Way more than normal. Mm. Some of them you can't do because some of them are like part of a big collection. But we'll do what we can. And for starters, we have Darren asking, Does Jen have any interest in playing Twilight Imperium? Now, of course, Jen doesn't know because Jen has never heard of Twilight Imperium. But I will now describe... Twilight Imperium. Okay. Honey Pie. Yes. Twilight Imperium is an epic space civilization building game. Oh. We've played lots of civilization building games. We tend to like those sorts of things. Yeah. But this game takes, on average, between five and eight hours to play. 
Um, it is super big and grandiose and epic, and there's lots of... I guess the core gameplay is really simple, straightforward card hand management stuff, but um, tons of economic, really deep economic simulation, really deep diplomacy between players, making alliances, breaking alliances, and occasionally, every once in a while, some intergalactic warfare. All for five to eight hours, depending on the skill level of the players, I guess. Any interest? Uh, not at this point in my life. No? You can, can you imagine a circumstance where you would want to play yeah, a single kind of, game for five to eight hours? I was kind of imagining. Like like if we went off and had like a, <clears throat> a gaming week or something in Thailand. And we had nothing else that we were doing. Mm-hmm. And we were just... Like, well, like when we went to um, Peros mm-hmm. with Iracles. Mm-hmm. Uh, is he doing that still? No. I, uh, ah, shoot. Cardboard and Sun, I believe, has... Uh, the sun has set on it, I believe. Mm, well, that was too bad because that was pretty cool. Because basically, we were just there to enjoy being where we were, play games. Yeah, but would you even still, under those circumstances, would you have wanted to play that for a solid day, or would you have rather played three games in with breaks in between? No, well, probably three games with breaks right. in between. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, really, can you imagine sitting at a table playing any board game for six to eight hours? Probably not. Right. So that's your answer, Darren. No. And me, I want to do it. Only once, though, because I can't imagine I'd ever do it a second time. All right, so Dieter had a bunch of questions, and a few of these Jen can't handle, like number one. Um, oh, yeah, I, I, I took out the intro. Dieter said, basically, I'm trying to put the screws to you and make you make tough choices. So here we go. Number one, I can only have the reviews of Dice Tower, Man vs. Meeple, or Shut Up and Sit Down. Jen doesn't know. Jen doesn't watch board game content. She didn't even watch mine, let alone somebody else's. So she doesn't <laughs> care. So this one is my question. Yep. And um, it's certainly not shut up and sit down. I mean, they're, they're very well produced, but I almost always vehemently disagree with them. I think they get it wrong a lot. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, and plus they do one a month. So I could certainly do without them. One or two a month. No big deal. Man versus Meeple versus Dice Tower. That is a much tougher choice. <clears throat> I tend to enjoy the Man versus Meeple takes. I think I, I think they're more simpatico with me just as players. So I'm, I'm kind of drawn towards them. But on the other hand, Dice Tower just has volume, volume, volume. Although, to be fair, it's kind of rare that either channel covers something if I'm not covering it around the same time. That said, I think Man vs. Meeple tends to beat me to the punch with exclusives more often than Dice Tower. So, I think just in terms of sheer utility, why would I watch so I can learn more about a game? Would I rather hear from somebody who just makes me... You got that wrong. You clearly got that wrong. I've never played the game and I vehemently disagree with what you're saying there. Or somebody said... You folks get it. I think I'm going to go with Man vs. Meeple over Dice Tower. So that is the winner. Um, this one you might be able to handle, Honey Pie. Mm. The game designs of Uwe Rosenberg, Jamie Stegmeier, or Vladimir Suki. No, you can't do it. I mean, you barely know who Uwe Rosenberg is. Um, and right, So Jen's going to enjoy her tea for a little bit. <laughs> That's a tough one. Um, hey, she showed it on screen. Well done. Um, wow. Well, again, if I just want to talk about easy, ease of utility, it'd probably go with Uve because, I mean, Uve has produced probably three times as many games that uh, Jen and I like or love compared to Jamie or Vladimir. I mean, that said, I mean, Jamie, I mean, giving up Wingspan and Tapestry and Charterstone, I mean, there's so many wonderful games from Stonemaier. 
Although you didn't say Stonemeyer, you said specifically Jamie, so that is a subset. So I mean, that's not giving up Wingspan, hey hey, um, or between uh, two castles of Mad King Ludwig. So just Jamie versus Uve versus Vlad. <sighs> Honestly, of the three, I think Vladimir probably most consistently makes games that are perfect for us. Uh, Jamie, I, I don't I don't think it's very rare that we don't tend to enjoy his games too, but he just makes the least. He has the smallest output as an individual designer. So I'll take Jamie off because I'm giving myself fewer games. And if it were if it were quality over quantity, I'd probably go with Vladimir, but Uwe Rosenberg again has, you know, at least three times the bibliography. So we'll go with Uwe. Now here's one you can do, honey pie. Dice or cards? All things being equal, if you could only play games that had cards and you couldn't play games with dice anymore, or vice versa, which way would you go? What do you tend towards? I think I prefer <coughs> dice for the prettiness of them, but oh. I think I prefer cards for the much more um, possible uses of them. Because you right. you've got four surfaces, maybe even two sides okay. of cards. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think probably cards. Cards, I would say as well. I mean, yeah, just for the sheer utility of I them. I just like, I have some, we have some very pretty pearly we, dice. Yes, and we do. colors and... But I mean, you can get pretty art on cards. That's true. Yep. So I think for both of us, that's going to be cards. Not happy about that choice, but that's where it would go. Next up, honey, you might be able to handle mm -hmm. this. Spiel, which you've been to many times. Yep. And Gen Con, which you've never been to. Now, Dieter's saying, which is the most fun? So mm -hmm. what you have to imagine Gen Con is, is basically, you've been to Dice Tower West, you've yep. been to the Board Game Geek Convention. Imagine those multiplied, imagine those scaled up to the size of Essen Spiel. That's basically. Um, so what, uh, what would draw you in more? I don't know, because... When I've gone to Spiel, I've pretty much been selling. Yes. Well, so, you go to Dice Tower West and uh, Board Game Geek Con, you are mostly selling too. Well, actually, we were just discussing that, weren't we? Gen yes. Con. Mm -hmm. um, and how, how <laughs> if I got a little stand at Gen Con, what, what, but I think I'd be overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. I'd be inundated in yeah, probably. stuff. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure, yes, you would by far do your best business, but you find, you what you said the other day was that often you get overwhelmed with the business you do at Board Game Geek Con and Dice Tower West because sometimes you just get such a huge rush and you feel bad that you can't service everybody immediately and yeah. people are standing in line. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, again, imagine that multiplied by 10. Yeah, that would be very stressful for me. Mm -hmm. But if we go just for playing games, obviously Gen Con, because I know Spiel is mainly a selling Th event. That is, and that's what it comes down to. I mean, <laughs> Dieter asked most fun. There's no, there's no comparison. There's, there's no, uh, yeah. uh, it was, no uh, fun Gen, at Spiel? Yeah. Gen Con wins hands down. There's not to say you can't have fun at Spiel, but Spiel exists. Everything about Spiel is about buying games. It is just about, it is a shopping excursion. Whereas Gen Con is a Except little. Except for the parking. Because they don't have enough parking nearby. <laughs> yeah, spiel. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas Gen Con, uh, yeah, I, I think for both of us, if we if we want to go to have fun, Gen Con. For, for utility, I would say Essen. Because the reality is, if I go to Gen Con to get games, I'm going to come out with maybe like 10 or 15 I'm excited about. If I go to Spiel to get games, I'm probably going to come out with two or three times as many. Because most of the games that Jen and I end up loving most in the year come out at Spiel, not at Gen Con. So if I had to pick one, I would choose Spiel, but not to have fun, but to ensure more fun later, basically. <laughs> Although, on Work the flip now, side, play later. On the flip side, 
that's completely counteracted by the having to fly for eight hours mm-hmm. as opposed to, well, I mean, even still, it's a pretty long flight to get to Gen Con from here. It's basically on the East Coast, Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. So they're both pretty bad. But I, I see. Moving on. Now, this is another one that you could definitely answer. I'm, I'm genuinely curious. I, pr- I had a pretty good guess you would pick cards over dice, but would you rather play deck builders or worker placement games? Oh, worker you, placement. Why? You didn't even think twice. No. I, okay. So I didn't have to describe. You understand exactly what that means. Yeah. All right. You've got to explain that. That's really interesting. Oh, uh, well, I just think that's a more interesting choice. Deck builder, um, I guess, tends to be more solitary kind of thing because we're each building our own decks and doing whatever it is that our deck is going to do. But worker Mm -hmm. placement is a bit more interactive. Mm -hmm. And um, you're interacting with the whole board, I think, rather Mm -hmm. than just what's in your hand. Not that you can't have deck builders like that, but a typical deck builder versus a typical worker placement game. That I would say, yes, there is higher propensity for um, interaction. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that's it. That's, I mean, that's the only thing you've said so far. That is the defining factor for you. You, you seek out, uh, sorry, this is just not staying. Didn't want me to, folks, life is good. And this is just driving me nuts that, so it is unfortunate. We just have to remove these all together. But anyway, um, and again, sorry, my apologies for folks who are listening instead of watching. This is at the, at the end of the day, a podcast, which means the majority of people will listen and not see us. Apologies. I'm wearing a new hoodie sweatshirt that Jen got me that says life is good, but the uh, pull strings for the hood completely obscure the life is good message. And Jen had tried to tuck them under the hood, but they were constantly popping out. I was trying to put them back up. (laughs) I'm moving on. Um, So really, but I mean, I tend to find that you enjoy building things more and there's no better example of building something than a deck builder. You are making a deck. You are making it run. You're constantly interacting with the toy that you have built. There's no no love for that. You would... Oh, no, there's definitely love for yes, that. Yes, but, I mean, there, there's nothing that would put deck building over the top for worker placement and just for the sole one reason you mentioned, which is player interaction. Um, I guess I feel like... The worker placement is interacting with the entire game as well. Mm-hmm. As okay. opposed to a deck builder where you're, again, just building what's in your hand. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Well, then, Jen, I disagree. I would take deck building seven days to Sunday over worker placement. Worker placement is fine, but worker placement is kind of limited. And developers, designers have to work really hard to do interesting things because it is so simplistic. I think uh, one of the reasons people, and maybe Jen too, uh, she didn't articulate this, but I think reason one of the reasons people are drawn to worker placement is because generally happens in Euros. And in Euros, you generally have the world fairly abstracted away. There's like a whole layer between you and what's actually happening in the world because you're just this faceless middle manager. But in a worker placement game, you have a concrete relationship with your actual workers. They're kind of an extension of you, extending yourself into the world. Mm. Um, whereas it, without that, you're, oh, when I, if I'm building a tableau, I don't exist. I'm not, a, you know, I'm, I'm a force behind the scenes, uh, you know, and all of that. So I think just on like a connection level, worker placement works to make the world and the game come alive more. And I totally get that, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, I think there are so many more cool and interesting things that can be done with deck building. Deck builders are effectively, as I just said, engine building games. Um, that You are implicitly building something. The act itself, stripping everything else away, building a deck 
to me is a more engaging experience because I'm making choices. What am I going to put in my deck? How is my deck going to function? What am I going to pull out of my deck? When am I going to make these choices? Everything that goes into the act of deck building, yeah. if you look at that as a verb, compared to everything that goes into the act of worker placement. I have a worker. I'll put it on the dot and do what it says. That's it. Now that well, again, have to that's with the whole thing and decide where to put your. Well, yes, yes, uh, yeah. I mean, and, and so I will. I have a worker. I will decide which thing am I going to do. I will have to consider: Am I going to be? If I can, I wait on this to do the other thing. Um, and you know, what is the ideal order? But is somebody else going to interfere with that inadvertently or advertently? Um, you know, so it's not. I, I don't mean to simplify that. Mm. But at the end of the day, just the raw mechanics of it: pick a thing, put it on a thing, do what the thing says is, to me, less fulfilling than I've made a thing. At the end of the game, this is my deck. This is what I spent the whole game doing. Well, we should still be playing Magic the Gathering then. <clears throat> well, um, I, no, th that's... Uh, yes, you're right, but... Um, that, that Magic the Gathering, <clears throat> the, the really fundamental thing that. that Dominion did yeah. is it turned deck construction which is what Magic the Gathering is, into a game itself. Yeah. There is no game to spending hour upon hour, well, I mean, I should pull this card out and I need to put three of this card in and, okay, what's my ratio of lands to spells and blah, and I just hate that. There's yeah. nothing fun about that at all. I mean, actually, we use it just would do open decks. Yes, yeah, so we, yeah, we, we, when we played in tournaments, we mostly played um, sealed deck tournaments where you just had to, hey, open some boxes, get what you can, do the best you can, and just play the game. Um... But Dominion, so brilliantly, took those ideas and gamified them. And okay, suddenly what was a chore becomes a fun and fulfilling and exciting act in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's why deck building... Again, I mean, now there's exceptions. I mean, there's a million things you can do with worker placement. There's a million things you can do with deck builders. But for Dieter, I'm just bringing it down to the raw simplicity. I think deck building is the superior experience for my taste. And for Jen, it sounds like worker placement, which I was surprised by. But that's why I wanted to ask her. Okay, next one. A great game with terrible components or a less good game with beautiful components? A great game with, with terrible components. Really? Yes, because we can, we can adjust those components <laughs> <laughs> at will. Yes, Jen does make very beautiful uh, game components. In case anybody doesn't know, head to GamerGlass.art and you too can make your ugly games look beautiful. Um, that's a good point. I, I am just gonna. I'm, I'm gonna assume. I'm, I mean, that's to me. That's a that's a cop out. That's uh, and if you were to take that away, no, you're over at somebody else's house. Do you want to play their ugly, ugly game? with um, uh, really great gameplay, or do you want to play their drop-dead, gorgeous, amazing game with okay gameplay? I still think I'd rather play a great game. With ugly, ugly? Yeah. Okay. All right. That's really interesting. That's very surprising. Are you uh, saying you'd rather play a prettier game? I am not sure. Uh, to me, it's not quite so cut and dry. You're just like, boom, just done. Even though your earlier observations were, well, dice are so pretty. I know. But... But I mean, I know. I guess it's consistent then, right? Yeah. Because you said dice are so pretty, but I'll take the cards. <laughs> yeah. I'll take the ugly cards, the boring cards. And so yeah, you're being completely consistent. And again, with the deck building, <coughs> I'm choosing a a, a more immersive um, experience with worker placement. Yeah. Well, see, the interesting thing is, Dieter tried to make it hard because he said it's still a good game. <clears throat> It's a good game. It's not a bad game. He oh, didn't say, oh, good. a piece of garbage with insanely good components. He said, no, a an amazing game with ugly, ugly, the worst imagined, you know, just the nastiest, gross stuff you can look at, or 
yeah, this game is good. It's 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 not it's not amazing. It's not world changing, but it's good. And geez, Louise, look at these components. Mm. Even still, with all that said, you would play with the the ugly, ugly thing. See, I'm I'm inclined to think I'd probably be shallow and go for the tactile nature of it, the you know the visual feast of it, it as is. opposed to looking at something that just makes me want to make my, my skin crawl the whole time. Well, it doesn't matter how good it is. I think the only thing that would make your well, I guess no, because there's some art styles that I don't yeah. like. Yeah, it's, so. it's, it's 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 not like oh, it's gross or there's lots of you know really horrific scenes of violence. It's just like no, they're just really cheap, really just cheap garbage stuff. You know, really thin stuff that crinkles really bad. Um, you know, boring blob. Everything about it. The art is. It, there's nothing uh, objectionable in the art other than the art itself, which looks like it was done by. You know, five-year-olds who should not have been get you know, or just you know that kind. Of, there's no charm to it. It's just, oh God, that looks so that looks so primitive and and um, and amateur, right? Yeah. You would still rather play that with the amazing gameplay. Honestly, I think I wouldn't. Yeah. Okay. Now that you, yeah, I think you've talked me around because it's not an awful game. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, it's he, just he, a less good. Game. Yeah, if it were a bad game with good components, easy, of course. Yeah. But a good game versus a great game with great components versus horrible components yeah, okay. i i yeah i'll go i'll join you i i think that's kind of where i'm at yeah okay next one i don't think you can you don't remember the tree of everdell versus the dice tower of wingspan um the tree of everdell was just it was a gimmick it was a, a gigantic tree and it was a worker placement game where you're drafting cards we haven't played this for years so i'm sure you I mean, well actually you know what what the heck i will show you the picture okay. everdell tree maybe you'll recognize it um boom let's see here that is the Everdell tree. It's basically, um, it's not fitting on screen. There we go. It's a place where all the cards lay. That you send workers out, and there's a bunch of cards, and it's just, it's gigantic. I mean, the thing's like a foot and a half tall, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, these cards go over there, those cards go over there. The draw pile is underneath it, so it keeps it tucked away. I think there's more cards arrayed out on the ground. Oh, there's a actually, this is a terrible picture. Board Game Geek Everdell. So if we go to Board Game Geek, let's see the whole game set up. Uh, if we can get some images, images. There we go. That's perfect. That's a good image right there. Thank you, uh, Madara Sindiri. So beautiful game. We played the Little Everdell in December. Remember with all the really cute animals. Yeah. This is the original game. It's a worker placement game. You go out and grab the cards. Oh, and yeah, the card. You don't grab cards up here. It's the objective cards are laid out up here. So this is just a display. It serves no function other than to say, oh, look at the big, beautiful tree, but here's where the game is. All the cards you're playing to yourself and all the worker placement you're doing here. So that's the Everdell tree versus, what was it, the other thing? Oh, the uh, Wingspan. Don't know why this didn't occur to me. I can just show these to Jen, and then she can uh, weigh in. The Wingspan dice tray, dice tower, which right there it is. This is the, uh, you know, you roll the big dice for the uh, different foods the animals want. The dice go in the back, and they come out, and it looks like a big birdhouse. Yeah. What do you value more? What provides more pleasure to you in gaming? I'm going to go with Wingspan. Yeah, me too. That tree is ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> it serves no function whatsoever. It's, 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 it's a vacuous gimmick. It's fine. I know a lot of people love it. But it actually, in higher player counts, makes it harder to play because people behind the tree suddenly can't see. You know, if, ever, if that were just if that card, I'd, it'd be upside down. But at least I could see it if it were on the table. But no, it's obsc literally obscured by a tree. Whereas this is a really pretty and very nice and very well considered dice tray. 
Now, honestly, I don't need either of them. Uh, dice trays are, are fine, or dice towers, I should say. But if I had to pick one, that is what I would pick. And it sounds like Jen feels the same. Mm-hmm. All righty, honey, would you rather play a solo game, a game of three players, or a game of four players? You will notice he specifically left out mm-hmm. our preferred player count of two players. Mm. Yeah, we've had a lot of fun playing with two players. Yes, two but extras. we. You, yeah, but there are. No, no, I'm saying two friends. Oh, two. So that meaning a, meaning a three player game. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, I don't meaning think you. a four player game. Well, you just said with two friends. So that'd be. Oh, it's because there's two of us, of course. Right. Okay. So so you're going to say four players because <clears throat> you would rather play with two people because you're still assuming it's always with me. Yeah. Um, if I weren't there, would you rather play with two friends or three friends if I were not in the picture? Probably just two. Okay. So what is that? I mean, so it's less about the player count of the game and more the fact I don't want to play with more than two friends. I do not want to play with three friends. Well, I don't know. It just seems like the more people, the longer the game. Yes. That's not always the case. Sometimes games are designed to scale well and, you know, you take fewer, you take more turns at lower player counts or stuff like that. But generally speaking, yes, the more players, the longer a game takes. We've had such a good time playing with couples. Mm -hmm. Um in Malta and here mm-hmm. uh, that I just think that yeah I mean because yeah, there have been plenty of times when it's been you and me and one other person and you're you're saying implicitly you find it more engaging to play with another couple rather than a, mm. a third person that's really interesting and can you articulate well, why I don't want to diss any of my because single friends the three player with. game is quicker yeah. than the four player game yeah I know I know so explain yourself yeah, and it and it's not a reflection. Don't worry, Leva. It's not you. Yeah. Don't worry. Um, who else have we? Morning. It's not you. It's uh. It, 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 yeah, I'm I'm really curious. Um, maybe it's I like it. I like our dynamic, and I like having another reflection of that dynamic. Dynamic. Hmm. Yeah, All right. That could very well be. Okay. And I don't. I don't mind playing with just one of our. You know, if a friend comes over, but. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. That was the question. Right. No, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. I'm now here. Okay, let me continue the thought exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Okay, what if it's you know, a three-player game, you, me, and somebody else, mm-hmm. or four-player game, you, me, two other people who are not a couple, who are completely unrelated mm-hmm. from each other? Then I guess I'd rather do a three-player. Because it's going to be quicker. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and you at no point you say, oh, I'd ever, you, you would never play a solo board game. Because that was on the option too, yeah. and you're like just no. not interested. Well, no, I. I mean, you've done Sudoku puzzles. Sure. Those are practically solo board games. Um, uh, I... roll and write effectively, <laughs> sort of. Yeah, that's true. Without the rolling, just the writing, yeah. a thinking right. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I just I feel like I have enough game playing time that I wouldn't play solo. Okay. Okay. At this point in my life. So, um, so it comes down to the makeup of the individual people. But it sounds like your gut is a, four, a full four-player game, but provided it's another couple. Yeah. With a, you know, another pair of people with an existing relationship, you find that dynamic. Uh, couples night out rather than, you know. Yes. Four's company, three's a crowd for you. Interesting. Um, I don't think I necessarily respond to that, and this is no offense to David and Angela or, you know, any of the other couples gamers we have played. Yep. Or, Steve, yeah, Steve and Betsy or, um, yeah, so... I, I would just come back to, hey, yeah, three players means it goes faster. Three players means, again, assuming it's you, then um, that is only one person who, I mean, when I'm playing with other people, I am really not playing the game for myself. I am 100% playing the game for the other person to make sure they have a good time, to make sure they are not, um, you know, 
having any speed bumps or rough patches in the road. Having two additional people that I have to monitor everything, not to ensure that I beat them and win the game, but to ensure that they are having the best time possible, that is literally more work for me. So yeah, for me, it's a no-brainer, three-player. And with all that, you'd think I'd say, oh, solo. But no, I'd rather play games with people. I, I enjoy solo, but I would not call myself a solo board gamer. Uh, I, if I were a solo activity, I'd rather catch up on my never-ending queue of YouTube videos or what have you. Okay, next one. Cooperative versus competitive game. The ultimate question. And I don't know why he put an umlaut in the cooperative, but let's say cooperative game or competitive game. Which way do you lean, Honey Pie? Um... Well, I think I lean competitive because I yeah. don't like my bum getting kicked by the too much <laughs> throughout me. Yes, and because again, what that means is I am no threat to Jen, so she would much <laughs> rather play against me than a co-op system that makes her feel under threat. That is what I just heard you say. Is that incorrect? That is incorrect because the co-op <laughs> games. <coughs> That is their shtick, is that they throw a lot of stressful stuff at you. That's not usually the case. There are some co-ops that play that way, but there are a lot of co-ops that are follow the more pandemic, where, hey, they take mm. it easy on you. It gets tough for a while. Okay, it gets well, easy. That's, I like that kind of co-op. Thing. Yes. And, but I, and I think you have a tendency to assume all co-ops are like that, when mm. in fact that's not always the case. Yes. It is interesting. I think maybe I might say the majority of co-ops do follow that, hey, let's just just throw you into the deep into the pool and and you know and, and with a bunch of rocks in your pocket from the first round <laughs> yeah. and uh, good luck that's fun that'll yep. be fun yep. enjoy all right well me it's exact opposite i love cooperative games i would much rather work with people than against people and i am not at all um put off by a game that really puts the pressure on in fact i like that i love that i like a game that just makes me, oh my god we're doomed all right we got to work together uh, we uh, we we gotta science the bleep out of this. Uh, that is my favorite thing to do. So I I definitely lean the other way. Okay, last one: Western games, Old West, American West, space games, or farm games. Farm games. D- not, not even gonna give it a second thought. It's uh-huh. instantly. Yeah. Any farm, any time in history, over anything in the American West or outer space. Definitely against Western and space games. I do enjoy. Mm-hmm. But I think I like farmer games. Yeah. I like chickens. And growing stuff. <laughs> and feeling like you've, you know, you've created something, you've grown something. Yeah. Honestly, and that's the reason I would agree. Uh, farm games tend to be about creating, the the act of building, the act of, you know, as opposed to space games or Western games, which tend to be about conquering mm. or fighting um, you know, or exploring, exploring, to be fair. Yeah. But even still, I would rather build than explore. To me, that is a more interesting and compelling verb. If, given the choice, would you like to go and explore, or would you? Well, see, actually, in real life, I'd rather explore, because building in real life is really hard. <laughs> so I guess that makes. Um, but I mean, you know, the satisfaction of ha- like I hate cooking. I hate cooking with a passion, um, because I I don't appreciate the work that goes into something that's so ephemeral. But um, I a game doesn't have all that work. A game is just one hundred percent fun towards the goal of creating something, a thing of beauty, either because it's physically beautiful or because, oh, it's just a beautiful combination of mechanisms that, you know, dovetail nicely together. I find that uh, engaging activity in a fantasy, in a, in a, not in a fantasy, but in a uh, idealized, relaxing circumstance. So, um, I mean, honestly, in real life, I prefer to explore because that's literally easier to do than build a thing but i do appreciate building in life more than exploring 
I don't know. And for you, it just comes down to chickens. No, I think building mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. And growing. That's another good part, too. That's often a big thing. You don't often see in board games outside of farming simulations. And there's no reason for that. Um, you know, I mean, really, about the only, the main place you see growth otherwise is in a war game where the enemies keep building, or like the viruses and pandemic. Mm -hmm. You see growth there, but that's not growth that you are molding and shaping and is a reflection of you. Or, hey, my bank account is growing. Yeah, you know, and that's like, that's fine. There's nothing wrong about that, but that is not as meaningful and as engaging as I grew these carrots, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I think we agree on that And then I took one. them to the market. And then I took them to the market <laughs> and I sold them and my bank account grew. Yay. All righty. Or my victory point. Uh, all right. So that was it for Dieter. Good ones, Dieter. Hey, feel free to do that again. That was great. Gerald asks, would you rather play a new Trajan expansion or a new game, uh, say with a theme you really like? Now, it's been a long time since we played Trajan, but mm -hmm. Trajan for the longest time has been your favorite Stefan Feld game. It is the one sent in ancient Rome where you have a Moncala in front of you. And the Moncala is full of all the little colorful cylinders. And a Moncala means, hey, I pick one of those things. I pick up everybody. I drop them off like mm -hmm. spreading seeds because in real life, that's Moncala. We're literally spreading seeds. It's kind of like a farming type thing. And whatever the last thing is, I activate that. Yeah. And then Trajan uh, really kind of repopularized Moncala brought them back and it was or well that means I could activate the Senate or I could uh, you know activate move the armies around up here or I could uh, work my way up I mean there's like six or seven things you could do we engage in trade and all that but at the end of the day it's about this really cool very very puzzly very hard to wrangle core mechanism and I'm sure Gerald mentions this because back when you did your top 20 games of all time Trajan was in your top 10 and it was your favorite uh, so he's saying would you rather so now if you do not remember because again we haven't played Trajan for years if you do not remember Trajan well enough to say that you could abstract this a little bit to say would you rather play an expansion to one of your favorite games whatever that might be mm -hmm. or would you rather play a completely new game with something that you know a theme that you're really going to like just in general which way do you tend to go so you don't have to limit it to Trajan if that's yeah. going to be tough. Um, well, we've had some, we've had pretty good luck with expansions, mm -hmm. actually making games. But we also had a few games where we thought, oh, you know, I think I prefer it the other the original way. Sure. But so I guess for me, I would prefer to look at an expansion of a game that I already love. Okay. So just in general, in general. all things being equal, assuming you're going to get uh, just as good an experience, you would rather revisit something through an expansion <coughs> rather than. Uh, you know, something completely new. Yes. Can you say why? That is interesting. Uh, because that harkens back to my preference of, of playing a game that I know I like mm -hmm. um, again. Mm -hmm. Which is how it, uh, I used to be. <laughs> I think I've changed a little bit over the years where I am now appreciating more the cult of the new. Mm -hmm. um, but I think still at my heart, I would probably prefer okay. to play a game I know I love. All righty. All righty then. Moving right along. Um, let's see. Of course, he probably... I, I just put this here. I should answer that question myself. I would prefer to play something completely new at the end of the day. Um, and that's actually kind of an about face for me because I've often said, oh, expansions are so great. Kind of same, I get to go back and visit my old faves. And I love doing that. But I appreciate novelty more. Um, I am seeking out new experiences wherever possible rather than revisiting experience that I already know that I love. To me, that uh, it seems to me that act of exploration is more engaging for me. 
Alrighty. Uh, Jerry says, my wife and I are getting into board games and recently picked up Istanbul. Uh, this You did not required to remember Istanbul. Don't worry. Hi. We're finding dead turns a bit frustrating. Or turns where you just can't do anything to progress instead of instead uh, prepare to progress. Just part of board gaming. Do we need to accept that? Or do we need to get better at playing? For example, we've run out of assistance. This is back to the game. Uh, going to the fountain to collect them takes two moves. I got to get all the way back there and then I got to get them back. Or um, picking up the closest assistant would be a wash of a turn. Uh, we're also really enjoying your... Oh, thank you, Jerry. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take it away from Istanbul to a more specific thing. I'm remembering Istanbul as something with a big, long kind of trail of tiles. It was a, it's, a, it's a grid of yeah. cards, and you have a stack of workers. And as you move around, you're dropping assistants off. Um, oh, and it's kind of more of a souk thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes, they were literally set in the souks. Okay. And so the big thing is, um, you know, the, the central place of the whole board lets you, hey, I'm going to get them all back. Um, and actually, Jerry, the, let well, me just wasn't say... was there one where you sent one of the, you sent somebody's kid to jail? Yes, that is Istanbul. Yes, yeah, <laughs> okay. that, that happened, that's one of the things I saw. The thing, the trick about Istanbul, it's you should not be having as many dead turns as it's sounding like. Going back to the center of the board, that is a desperate move, and that is something you should try to avoid. The main thing about Istanbul is as you create your path, what you're doing is you are creating your path back. And you want to try to retrace your steps. I'm going to go all the way over there and leave all these breadcrumbs all over the place. But then I'm going to come back. And maybe I'm going to go a slightly different way. But I'm going to be trying to pick the stuff back up as I go. As part of my overall plan. As opposed to, I need to get this back. I don't want to go there. So, to your, to, I, I think if you spend a bit more time, um, you know, and, and you really have to kind of... Istanbul is a game that really um, encourages long-term thinking. Mm. So, it sounds like in that case, Jerry, I, I don't think that you should be... A Getting as many dead turns as you can, as are. But I'm again going to broaden this for you, Honey Pie, because there are a lot of games. Ever since Concordia, it has become a very, very common mechanism. Whether it's a hand of cards or a bunch of workers, um, you know, or a bunch of dice that you can spend. That okay, I got all my stuff. All right, and I'm going to do a thing, and I'm going to do a thing, and oh, I'm starting to run out of things. And sooner or later, you got to spend that. Oh, I got to spend that turn getting all my stuff back. Yeah. Um. You know, you know, and then and then start building again. That has yeah. become an incredibly common thing. And now, uh, when it's done smartly, and not all games do this smartly, they set it up so that oh, that turn when I get all my stuff back, that can be your most favorite turn because hey, that's when I get to activate this engine I've been building over here. And if I've set this up right or I've got the right stuff to feed in, I can do a thing. But a lot of games say nope, nope, nope. Just every once in a while, um, yeah, like you, you've run out of workers. And you know what? You were hoping somebody else would bump workers and give them back yeah. to you, and nobody did. So now you just got to spend a turn doing nothing. A dead turn. Yeah. So, um, what are your feelings about dead turns and the <laughs> overall structure of that? Yes, I also do not like dead turns. I also don't like turns where you're doing teeny tiny minuscule things. See, that's interesting. When I saw this, I mean, I skim all these questions to decide what section they should go in. I thought, Jerry, you were actually talking about that what we often refer to as baby steps. Games where... Yeah, you just do a lot of little turns over and over and over again. But I think Jerry's more along the lines of this this structure, which again, Jerry, you will see it in a lot of games where okay, you get to do some stuff, but now you got to waste time resetting. Um, you know, and it's not like a worker placement game. It's not like a curriculum where oh yeah, it's the end of the round. Everybody uses all their workers now. Everybody resets. Everybody starts over. It's like nope. Um, I placed two workers. 
I could. I've got four more workers, but no, I need to get these workers back now because they're the workers who can go to these other places or I need to clear that space out again or whatever. Um, I mean, I like that. I find that when it's done well, it's really engaging because it puts you in so much control, especially when they do smart things like, oh, I'm incentivized to get everything built because the more stuff I deploy, when I do the recall, the more stuff I'll get. Or by the same token, hey, the flip side of that, the more stuff I deploy, the worse that turn is going to be, thereby in incentivizing me to only put a few things out and then recall really quickly mm. so I can get a stronger recall turn. You know, there's a lot of ways to play with it and they don't always play with it, but I think there's a, a really cool stuff to do there. And Jerry, I think Istanbul, if you get a bit more, uh, it, it's less about, um, you know, it, it, it sounds like you're playing kind of in the moment and you really need to be thinking more long-term about how, oh, now I've got to spend all this time getting this stuff back. When No, getting stuff should just be something that's kind of happening implicitly as part of your long-term planning. Sano, do you have anything more to say on this subject, 95? Because honestly, I thought this was going to be, a, uh, you know, the, the baby step thing, but it was something else. So yeah. No, I think... Nope, I don't think I do. <clears throat> okay, then we will move on to Shonks, who also had a bunch of questions, some of which Jen probably can't handle. But Shonks says, My mind is an endless deluge of questions, so I shall endeavor to provide you with many. Shonks, um, you are the MVP of this episode. Keep it up, Shonks. Keep this show alive. Okay, number one. When it comes to deck builders, what would you say are the most successful and least successful mechanisms for those types of games? We already talked about deck builders a little bit. I, I put this on here because I knew... I. There should be one thing that you should be very quick to say, Honey Pie, about deck builders. That you, what do you really appreciate in a deck builder? The the engine works. That's not the thing I was. That's so incredibly obvious. <laughs> what is the one thing that only one deck builder in the entire <laughs> industry does, and yet every time we ever play a new deck builder, you say, "Oh, is this one of the ones that does it?" And I'm like, no, Honey Pie, no game does that except for one game. Yes, putting your cards back in the proper order. Having control over the discard pile. Yeah. Would you put that as a as a powerful tool for a, a good design of a deck builder that you appreciate? Yeah. Yep. I'm referring to, of course, folks, to Aeon's End. Although, to be fair, there's a Ryan Lockett game. I think it was the Ancient World that does it as well, and almost nothing else does. Uh, you know, in most deck builders, hey, you got to play your whole hand. It doesn't matter because... or It's it's not the putting them in order. It's the fact that, hey, when you get your deck back, you don't shuffle it. Right. You just flip it over. Yep. So, and that is representative of a broader stylistic approach to deck building, which is, of course... I want more control over this deck. Mm. I want less to be at the whims of just random shuffles yes. and all of that. Yes. So there's lots of things that can be done. Uh, you know, that again, break the Dominion inspired mold. I do not have to play all my cards. A game that lets me keep some cards. And I, okay, or I'll discard because I don't need them and I'm trying to get to what I need. The, the, the less cards I have in my hand, the more I can draw. I want to get through my deck pack. No, I want to hold on to this and I want to wait until this other card comes out. Most deck builders don't do this because most deck builders just skew towards Dominion. And I would say Donald X. Vaccarino made a mistake with that. I mean, Dominion would be a better game if, you, if it was optional whether you wanted to discard unused cards or not. Yeah. So that. I mean, can you think of other stuff then that uh, now that I've got the... Juice is flowing. Not that you're a professional game designer, so that's okay if you don't. <laughs> um, there's nothing that's just leaping out of my brain. That's okay. Then uh, you'll have other ones that are here. Uh, another one is... Uh, what was it? Asonia has this really, really beautiful thing where... Um, again, and it comes down to more control over the deck. Mm. I can take cards, you know, a big part of deck is deck thing, right? And this Asonia, part of the deck building is taking them and putting them in little, um, 
uh, piles. And if you fill up a given pile with enough things you've discarded, that then becomes a permanent resource you have for the rest of the game. So turning your refuse into valuable stuff. That's really, really cool. And I've never seen any place other than Asonia. Um, oh, another one that I've seen in a few games is kind of similar. Uh, you know, deck builders are great. Hey, the deck gets bigger and bigger. You want to get rid of the stuff you don't need so you can draw the cards you want more often. But there are some games that um, have an equal focus towards deck destruction. Because the only way you score points is pulling cards out of your deck. Great cards. Powerful cards that you love to use. But say every once in a while, you're like, I need to pull these out and put them in my score pile. Which means, for the rest of the game, I can't use that card anymore. Um, I mean, I think that's really awesome. You see that in Valley of the Kings and, um, oh, the really, really wonderful uh, Dale of Merchants. So those are some cool stuff. Can you think of anything? It's okay if you don't, Honey Pie. You're a glass artist, not a game designer. Yeah. I'm a former game designer, so that's why my brain... And I do this kind of professionally. So th those are some examples. But I think more than anything else, a deck builder can give you more control over that deck is, is to be lauded. Um, I see. Um, okay, this is an interesting one. Honey Pie, do you prefer Spirit Island or Gloomhaven? A game that has you hit the ground running with really cool powers, asymmetric powers that are really unique to you. Or do you prefer Clank, um, or Star... You, you don't remember Clank. Star Wars, but you remember Clank, yeah. where you just have a basic deck and you start building up. Hmm. That's interesting. That's a... Yeah, I think you should definitely be able to have a... And I honestly, I don't know what you're going to say. Yeah. Um, well, I really enjoy Clank, and I think that's easy just to sit down and start. Yeah. Whereas, certainly Gloomhaven, I mean, every time we sat down to Gloomhaven, I had to get my deck out, and I had to figure out which cards I was going to do that time, mm -hmm. and remind myself mm -hmm. of what all the powers were, and mm -hmm. all that. So, I think for, um, probably for my mental state these days, <laughs> um, I would prefer Clank. Really? Yeah. Okay, so, alright. No, that, that, that's pretty straightforward. Um, you say your mental state these days. There was a time yeah. when we dutifully played Gloomhaven yeah. for like almost a year, yeah. uh, multiple times a week. Yep, I know. Um, that what was we, in Malta. What, what, why is your mental state different now? I just feel like I've got so much in my head all the time. And you didn't in Malta? So wait, does that mean Malta actually worked? Because Malta, I think we've identified in the past a failed experiment. Because we were living in England, we lived there for eight years, got yep. in our dual citizenship, yep. and when the opportunity came up to go to Malta, one of the big attractions, one of the big feathers in its cap was you could relax. Because you felt so harried, you were involved in like the local galleries, and you had so many things going on, and your your life was just so chock-a-block, and you're like, oh, I could just relax in Malta. And I never felt like you did relax in Malta. I felt like you just immediately set about trying to recreate all the structures that drove you crazy and gave you so much stress. Okay, now I got to build a new glass art empire in this new country. And I got to make connections with all the places all over. And I got to have meetings with all the artists. And, and to me, it always felt like, oh, you're just falling back into habits and nothing was different. And I, I kind of feel like you felt the same way. But maybe that's not the case. Because you're kind of identifying you were in a different mental state. I think I was. Yeah. I mean, I did. I did still want artist friends. Yes. So certainly building and you, a network and you of were still, friends. And you were still working just as hard making glass. You spent hours. I don't think you work more hours now or in England than you did in Malta. You spent a lot of time in front of the torch. Well, you and, don't know how much time I worked in England because you were gone all the time. Yeah. Well, yourself. I'm assuming while I'm working, you're working, but that's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I definitely worked more hours in England. Okay, but do you work more hours here than you did in Malta? Well, I think I, my time is spent with gaming and stuff 
um, I, I don't know. I feel like now, I, so I think we played a lot more games in Malta. Well, for the last couple of years, yeah. we have really been slowing down our game um, because because you have expressed you're really feeling a lot of stress, and it's harder for you these days to bite off big, um, deep games. And you know, like you used to, just like, hey, bring it on! I love it. So I think in Malta, I just had less. I don't know. I felt like I had less responsibilities. Hmm. You know, I just once we'd kind of gotten the country figured out and knew where to buy vegetables. But I mean, is that not the case that. here? We know where to buy vegetables. No, I know. I'm just saying. I, I don't know. Are you saying it's because? I mean, because you know. So, I guess one thing is the only responsibilities we had in Malta were each other and the dogs and the chickens. Here. We have family responsibilities. Yeah. We have a lot more going on with that, which, you know, that's one of the reasons we came back. So yeah. you could get, I mean, because you were basically so divorced from your family. We're getting into the personal section, folks. But this is still game-related. I wonder how much of it is that. Did you feel... Uh... There is definitely an overarching um, layer of of mental activity. Yes, it's just, uh, you know, been dumped. Oh, here's 20% more uh, CPU usage uh, on a day-to-day basis <laughs> that just pretty much went away when it was you and me at the end of the world. Yes, and everybody was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yes, of course. Fine. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. We, it was sort of a few golden years where hmm. we had no concerns about family stuff. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Okay, so, um, so would you say... Would Maltagen answer this question differently? Would you say, no, give me the big, chunky thing. I want, I, I want to say, oh, look at this big, elaborate toy I've got to play with. Let me start working, as opposed to the, no, I, I, let me build it up over the space of 45 minutes, and now it's ready to go. Hmm. See, I brought it back to the question, folks. I'm just trying to think of, like, in MDNA. <coughs> because in MDNA, I really had... Very little going on. Mm-hmm. I was learning lamp working, so yeah. I was having a really good yeah, time. Yeah, you're switching your career basically. Yeah, and I just didn't have any responsibilities really. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were working like more or less normal hours, so we had evenings that we were together mm-hmm. and playing and everything. Um, and I really enjoyed that time together that we had. Uh, and I'm trying to remember the kinds of games we were playing there. And of course, I mainly remember um, Escape. Escape. Yeah, and how I just can we just get can we. You can be 10 minutes late. It's fine. <laughs> it's only 10 minutes. <laughs> um, but what else did we play? I mean, we had all of our favorites that we brought still. Yeah. Um, gosh. Now, I, th- I think during that time we were kind of, I mean, I wasn't playing as many games because I was working. I think that was the case. We weren't playing that many. We were playing maybe like two. I mean, during that time, that was when Rado Runster was starting, and I was putting up maybe one or two videos a month. Mm, okay. Um, and I don't think we were playing much more than that. Because we were still just kind of finding where the vegetables were bought, and you were learning a new career, and I was at a new company and all that. I think we were not really playing very many games. And it wasn't until that the fallout happened and uh, the government scandal that I was at the epicenter of erupted that uh, led to all kinds of stuff. I'm I'm building it up for effect. But there's a kernel of truth to what I just said. And we said, oh, well, let's now move to Marshallthorn and uh, let's make Rotto Runs Through a real thing. And it became a job for both of us uh, trying to make a career out of it. So so it's interesting. You went to Indina, not to Marshallthorn. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what's the, how, how did you feel about the MDNA experience versus the Marshall Forum experience? Because that was a big shift. Yeah. Well, okay, so I'm also thinking mm-hmm. when we went to MDNA, like I said, a lot of my mental energy was going to how to, how what is this lamp working thing? Right, learning I, a new skill. All yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. You were busy doing your own thing. Mm-hmm. 
and then we would play together. So there was just a lot less, I think, when you start throwing three or four games at me a week, yeah. and I have to learn them all, yeah. and everything, that's just a lot more yeah. intellectual. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't mind I mean, that, it's good. I, I would say that was the case when we were in martial form, too, when I started doing this full-time. Yeah. And yet, still, there was something about the magic of Malta that I think you still... You had more mental bandwidth. You, for a year, were able to play Gloomhaven every week, yeah, multiple times. That I mean, you, you had enough bandwidth that you allowed yourself, yeah, to um, yeah. And it's kind of hard to say, and it is getting more into the personal. But um, you know, if back in that mode, you know, where you where you you literally had a different CPU load on your um, noggin. <laughs> Would you still say, yeah, I'd rather have the game that kind of is a slow build up and, you know, it's nice and simple and I do some stuff as opposed to the boom, here's a big toy to play with. Okay, well, that, that Figure it out. ties into the kind of games we like to play, like yeah. sandbox games mm-hmm. where you just start out with absolutely everything and all of the options available mm-hmm. to you mm-hmm. versus a game that kind of spoon feeds you different um, mm-hmm. skills as you get mm-hmm. better. So I think we've decided we prefer the kind of game that, that does sort of restrict you a little bit and you build up your... A game that gives you goals, basically. Yeah. 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 As opposed to saying, you can do anything you want. Everything is equally of value. Just experiment and tinker with it and have fun. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that is something that neither of us respond to. Yep. So I'm, because of that, because that has been consistent, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with that. Okay. Which is the smaller. All right. Okay. Well, um, let's see. Me, I prefer a big, crunchy thing. Give me a big, gigantic mechanism, and oh my gosh, how am I going to solve this problem? That's, That's what... I, 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 I actively, my least favorite thing about Clank is, to me it feels like, oh, we got to go through this half hour of just... Before, before anything interesting is happening. I think they've adjusted that a bit, though, haven't they? Uh, not really. I, you know, Clank is Dominion played at a quarter of the speed. Because there's, oh, I got to figure out, and I got to, oh, I got stuck in a crystal cavern, and I got to get over here, and now I can finally get the thing, and oh, but it's, I'm not going to show up until I make it through the deck. Whereas, uh, you know, Dominion has all of that, but you're through your deck after two turns, and you're starting to see your cool new cards, and nothing's getting in your way other than how you choose to build your deck. I don't know. Uh, but me, yeah, I would rather just have a complete toy to start playing with rather than build a toy. I think of that as kind of all of the game manuals you read. What does that mean? You read the whole game manual and yeah. try and figure out how to put the game together. Yeah. So I guess that's reflective of the same thing. Yeah. Sure. All righty. Number two from, who was it? Oh, Shonks. Shonks. What is your favorite randomization mechanism in games, Honey Pie? You should know this. That would be dropping stuff in a tower and seeing what comes out. Not a dice tower, but a, I don't know what it's called, a tower. The Amerigo Tower, the Shogun Tower, the uh, Wallenstein Tower, the... There's only been like five or six games I've ever done it. Most recently, Feld did it again with Marrakesh. The idea of a tower with shelves and random things get stuck and they'll show up at a random time later. And so what you thought you were getting out, nope, you're getting something different. That is your favorite. I would be inclined to agree. Um, When that works, and unfortunately it's a very, very sensitive thing and uh, due to production issues, it can be kind of problematic. But when it works, it is the best. I love it. Um, do you think someone can be part of the industry without attending conventions, at least at the beginning? I don't think you have anything to say about this. Well, certainly I'm part of the industry and I didn't attend conventions for a lot of time. So the board game media thing does not require you to attend conventions. But I think um, what Shonks is asking is, can I be a more, a, a, a real professional working in making games? And that is going to be much harder. You, your best bet is to attend conventions and make real world 
connections mm-hmm. with those publishers. Donate your time. Say, hey, I will run your booth. And I don't expect anything other than, can you just get to know me? And maybe somewhere down the road, you will um, you know, potentially throw some work my way. Or you could lead to something. I mean, that's the case for a lot of people. I guess the only other thing without going to actual conventions is... There are opportunities to become testers for games mm-hmm. um, where publishers will send out prototypes to their network of testers. And if you do a really good job giving back really good feedback that really impresses and makes a big impact on the game, that would be a possibility. Now, how do you become that? That I have no idea. I would say the best way to do it, go to conventions. And once again, talk to the publishers. But it seems like that's something... It's not like something I've ever seen publishers putting out a call for, hey, we need testers for this game. Um, you know, maybe it's something like, you know what, there's nothing. If you go to Board Game Geek, if you go to the general forums and the specifically the designer sub forums, you will see independent designers all the time talking about all kinds of stuff, putting up their games, looking for feedback. You could say, you know what, I'm going to become a professional tester of amateur independent games and start doing that and spend your time doing that and get a hang of it and prove to actual publishers that, look, I've made this game better. Here's what this designer said. Maybe you'd like to send me a prototype of your next game and I can do it for your real commercial games. I think that would be a viable path. Well, it goes back to what you were doing when you were in the video game industry, too, is you wanted to see yeah. potential employees yes. who had some original thoughts of their own about how to improve whatever it is. Yep. Yeah, I am definitely 100% aping what I would tell people when they want to get a job in the video game industry. You want to get a job in the video game industry, Make video games. There is nothing stopping you from doing it on your own in your home. There are so many tools for free that let you make your own game or add-ons to existing games. And I always responded most not to the CVs that say, look, here, I went to this four-year school. I went to Full Sail and I've got all these things and here's all the projects I did. My first thought was, what projects did you do on your own outside of school? Those are the ones I want to see. Those are the ones that proved your drive. And I think... I think there's probably something that could be done similarly um, with the board game industry as well via independent development. Start signing up. Um, you know, start, uh, you know, when uh, publishers post, er, you know, go to Kickstarters where publishers have posted, like, well, this is a work in progress rule book. We swear it's a work in progress. We understand. Take that thing and fix it. And sense of, hey, I don't expect anything. I just wanted to give you some feedback. Here's a bunch of things where I think you went wrong. Do that. Impress them. Well, geez, maybe we should send this to that kid next time. And then, you know, after a few of them, maybe they'll start paying you to write their rule books for you. I think there are ways to do that. All of it's going to be enhanced if you go to conventions and see these people in real life. But you don't necessarily have to. Okay, number four, says Shonks. Do you know of any worker placement games where the workers are on the board at the start and stay out the whole time? <clears throat> I'm really terrible at answering questions like that. I feel like that must exist. I know there are worker placement games where, yeah, the whole game... like Well, like Kanban is a game where you have one worker, you. And it starts off the board, but once you put it on the board, it will stay on the board forever. And you just have to move from one place to another. We just played Bot Factory. It's the same idea. It's just like a stripped-down Kanban. So there are games like that. But I think you're talking about more of a, oh, no, I've got five workers, and they're constantly jostling around. That's an interesting idea, and honestly, I can't think of one. Um, There have been terrain ones where we've put our thing down and then start moving around. But I think they can be killed and come off. Yes, that. inevitably. Inevitably. I think it's so woven in to the DNA that I don't I don't know if it's occurred to anybody to say, hey, how about no my yeah. My five workers will never come home. I you know because a uh, colonist is a great game 
where, again, it's a single. I think if you play long enough, you can get maybe two or even three. So colonists would be an interesting one. But I think it's... And even then, I think there are circumstances where they will come off the board and you're like, and you're... Shanks, that's a really cool design idea. I want to see a game about that. I want to see a game that's a business simulation where, yeah, my people never come off the board. I'm just always moving them from one department to another. Um, That's a really interesting idea. All right. Uh, um, it, number five, it sort of feels like board games are at the point video games were in the 90s. Still niche, but starting to become bigger part of the mainstream culture. Do you think board game hobby will ever make that transition in the way video games did with Angry Birds or Animal Crossing? Um, or, or have we hit our apex? I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. Hey, Pi. Um, well, uh, first of all, I would say video games were definitely not niche by the mid-90s because you are forgetting the 80s. There were literally top 10 pop songs about video games. Pac-Man Fever, driving me crazy. Pac-Man Fever, going out of my mind. I still have all the lyrics emblazoned on my brain. That was a true worldwide cultural phenomenon. And even though they kind of fell back, I don't think anybody forgot about video games. So, no, we are nowhere close to where video games were in the 80s, let alone the 90s or today. Um, We have not... Board games have not engendered a true cross-culture, non-geek niche. Nothing has come close. I mean, the biggest games we've got, Catan, Wingspan, there's a lot of normies out there playing those games, but there's no song on the radio about them. Um, you know, there's they have not become, you know, video games in the 80s, you know, half the movies in the 80s were set in video arcades uh, because they were just such a part, such so woven into not geek culture, but pop culture. And bi- and board games are not there yet. I think we will eventually get there, but there's one major thing stopping that from ever happening, and that is rule books. Yes. Rule books, and it kills me that Dized, D-I-Z-E-D, is an app that um, can teach you how to play board games and let you throw away the rule book and basically be a human being, the equivalent of a human being sitting at the table, walking you through the game. And it's not perfect, but it's the best thing we've ever seen. And honestly, by now, I mean, they've been going for like half a decade. Every single game should be on Dyes. And Dyes should be, everybody has it on their smartphone. So that nobody ever has to read a rule book again. Um, also just the physical, the physicality of rule books is holding us back. Um, I have a friend who was, you know, publishes games and he was talking about, you know, for my next game, I'm thinking about just not putting a rule book in the box and saying, Hey, here's the piece of paper. Go to this website. Because at the end of the day, you can make such an amazing, easy to use rule book. If it is a website, and you can search it. You can search it. You can follow links. You can put animated GIFs. You can put videos. You can have audio. You can have video. You can, you can make samples of all the weird stuff. Yes. And, um, you know, with like interactive things, you can say, well, what if I do this? And what if I do that? Um, you can get chat GPT and have it literally answer questions that you type in if it understands your rules. There's so many things you can do that are impossible, and yet what every uh, publisher does... Let alone all of the weight of the paper manuals and the several languages. Yes, it's ridiculous. It's such a waste of money. Everybody 
has a lap. Every board gamer has a laptop. Every board gamer has a smartphone. It is ridiculous and honestly unconscionable that we are wasting so many resources and making games so much harder to learn. And what do publishers do? They say, oh, no, no, go to Board Game Geek. You can download the rules. And what do you download? A freaking PDF. That you can't search. That you can't. Half of the time, you're right. Sometimes you can search because you can save PDFs so they're searchable or not. And often they just don't. So it's basically just a bunch of bitmaps, which is useless. But even if you can search, um, it's all from start to finish, two columns. And it's like, okay, I got to scroll from one column to the other. And it's like, no, that if the internet would not have taken off if the (laughs) internet were presented like board game geek manuals. Yeah. Or board game manuals. Board game manuals are terrible holdovers from engineering manuals because mm-hmm. board games used to be designed predominantly by engineers. Yep. And their habits and their techniques are what inform how to do board game manuals now. And it is the worst. It is so dumb. Everything about almost uh, without exception. Every single board game manual is done incorrectly, starting with the fact that you can't go to the publisher's website and get a digital version of that, which is not a downloadable PDF, but a website devoted that has every picture being animated, that has videos I can click, that has, oh, when there's the notes from the, uh, you know, the author, record them. Let me hear the author's voice. Let me make a physical, real human connection. Multimedia mm-hmm. is... We can make games so easy and interactive and fun to learn. But nope, publishers just pub the thing and then they give Rodney Smith a lot of money to have him make uh, a teaching thing, which basically, uh, Rodney is great. And everybody who does How to Plays are great. But by and large, almost all of them just very dutifully recreate the existing engineering-led structures of existing manuals that do not get to the true nature of how human beings learn. They are not written by teachers. They are written by engineers or people who have been inspired by how engineers have done things. And it's absurd. Anyway, so when my friend suggested I should do this, I'm like, oh my God, you should totally do that. But he realized, I will get ripped apart. I will get destroyed. It will be completely unacceptable. And my project will fail on Kickstarter. And I realized, yeah, he's right. I can't even remember what the project was. Uh, It's from a few years ago. But anyway, I said, well, you know what you can do? You can um, say, hey, I am making this the best, most easy-to-read manual of all time because it's a literal website. The thing that we all use every day to consume and learn information, which is nothing like a board game manual. If you, if you must have a manual, um, go to this website, pay $7.00. And you can print it out and they'll send it to you anywhere in the world. Because there's so many print shop, print on demand shops. So you could do that. And I said, do that. Um, You know, basically externalize the cost of the rule book that isn't necessary anyway. He still didn't do it. I still think that is the future. Because the only thing, back to your question, Shonks, that's keeping us from breaking through to pop culture is our stubborn insistence on sticking with uh, an engineering manuals uh masquerading as instruct uh, board game how learning how to have fun uh right and so do i think you're right so anyway that's what's keeping us from breaking through and until we crack that nut it'll never happen uh again dies d-i-z-e-d is fantastic it should have taken off by now it should have gotten the entire wholehearted support of the entire industry by now there should be publishers saying you know yeah we didn't even bother with the manual we just give you the dies module because it'll teach you how to play the game like a human being would. Yeah, I mean, even just thinking about saving the shipping cost of the manual in the box. Yeah. 
Exactly, exactly. Or, or, or like I said, the five different ones for the five different languages and all that. Yep. It's it's absurd um, that we are so bass backwards there. Anyway, though, last one I think. Yes, from Will. Since you mentioned preliminary top ten includes Jen's preferences, uh, what is your personal top ten and why do you combine them? Uh, oh, you know what? Hey, this should not be here. That I just saw the word Jen and I put it here. I'm gonna move back that up because I'm doing things out of order. Was that that was Will I said? So between Ramon and Zod, I'll answer that question for Will later because we are done with the gaming stuff, but we're not done yet. Hang on, folks. We'll be right back with the personal question. Unless you don't care about personal stuff, we already got a little personal already. Yeah. Um, in which case, you you'd like to get out now. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Send more questions to questions at rao.com and we'll see you next month or talk to you next month, everybody. So long, bye-bye. Otherwise, hang on. We'll be right back. Okay, everybody, we are back. Jen just went and got me some water. Thank you very much, honey pie. I got a little agitated there. I needed to cool down. Although Jen uh, needs to warm up because she just put on a sweatshirt, which yep. is interesting. Yep. Is it cold in here? I could probably take this thing off now. I'm all revved up. But anyway, we're on to the personal questions. Starting with one from Alex Uh. uh um, mm. Alex Uh was very, very kind to say, hey, you don't have to use my name because she knows I've got one right there on the table. Uh, I could have said these are from Dave, her boyfriend, since they listen together. But no, Aww. it's from Alex Uh. And uh, that seems to work pretty consistently. Yeah, we'll have to so, use that in the... Alex Uh asks, yeah, doesn't even pick up on that. Alex Uh. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, Alexa says, I grew up playing The Sims and have continued to play it as an adult. Can you talk about your involvement with developing The Sims? What were your thoughts on The Sims franchise uh, today? Uh, I don't even know if you've ever played Sims. Have you, Honey Pie, even though I worked on it? Well, I've played Sims, A little bit, but you never got into it, I don't think. No. No. Oops. But I think even I did play it before you did that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before you did your... Here's the situation. I was... Um, working as the creative director of Edge of Reality Games, sadly no longer with us, uh, in um, Austin, Texas. And we got approached by... They, they were, we were primarily known at that point for making conversions of uh, uh, existing games to other platforms. Like uh, they did the N64 versions of Tony Hawk, uh, you know, and, as opposed to the PlayStation one and stuff like that. And they'd done some other stuff and they'd hired me on because I had my siphon filter experience and they said, hey, we can do new things. Um, but it's interesting. One of the first things that we were approached by when I got there was, hey, can you make The Sims work? Um, it's impossible. If We will bring you on. You will be, I believe, either the third or the fourth independent developer... Um, who has been hired by us to translate the Maxis-developed PC Classic to consoles, which required so much technical stuff. It was absolutely... De- I mean, I think uh, it was uh, word was spreading that it was an impossible task. But we had kind of... Or the company had a development of, hey, it was mostly a tech-led co- company. They had done other impossible things, and so they signed on. And so... Uh, I had nothing to do with the technical stuff, but it was literally a miracle. Jason, should I say his name? Yeah, he's in the credits. Jason Yenowine, our lead uh, programmer, he basically locked himself in his office for six months, um, didn't talk to anybody, and came out and said, I've done it. I have actually uh, transplanted Edith, the core engine for Sims, from uh, from PC with all of its sloppiness to console with its extreme efficiency. Um, So while he was working on that, and other programs were working on other projects like Pitfall and whatnot, my main job as the creative director was, right, assuming this can be done, 
Because we don't know if it can be done. What has to be done with The Sims to turn it into a viable console experience? And for me, what I argued right from the get... There were two big design, creative tasks that had to be resolved. One, you do not have a mouse and keyboard. You have dual analog stick controllers. So that was my first thing. My first job... I pretty much invented the idea, uh, which has now become incredibly standard, of using the D-pad not for... Um, no game did this before me. Using the D-pad, as far as I know, I'm pretty sure. Not for moving or stuff, but just for bringing menus up. Hey, if I hold left, it, it shows me this menu. If I hold right, it shows me that menu. Um, that went on to become an incredibly common thing. And as far as I know, I invented that. And at the same time, since you don't have a mouse, which is pretty much is as close to a conduit to your brain as an interface can be, you've instead got analog sticks you have to move around. The big thing I argued for was the cursor can no longer be a two-dimensional construct on top of the three-dimensional world. It has to be a three-dimensional object. You have to feel like, oh, the cursor, which became like a glowing shaft of light, like the end of a Marvel movie, uh, that you just moved around, and when it got close to things, things highlighted. It, it, it feels like, oh, I'm in the world now. That's me moving around. Because that was just more conducive to using an analog sticks mm -hmm. rather than trying to use analog sticks as a 2D overlay. Other people had trans, uh, by that point, had done Command and Conquer and Warcraft and other games that were mouse-led, and they said, hey, we're just going to make it look a mouse, and it was terrible. Like, no, it has to become 3D. Pikmin subsequently went on and really did an amazing job. Or maybe I took inspiration from Pikmin. I don't remember the timing, but I was really impressed by Pikmin um, as an example. But anyway, so that was my first thing. Resolving how to interface um, in true 3D with a controller that Sims had never been designed for. The other thing that had to be resolved was... This was a strong feeling I had. Sorry, Honey Pie. No, Hopefully this is of interest to you. I don't yeah, know. Uh, you very rarely got insight into my actual job. So here you go. Years later, this is what I was working on. <laughs> when I was at Nintendo as a gameplay counselor, among other things, the SimCity came out <coughs> for the Super Nintendo. And it was as it was an amazing product. It was a very dutiful recreation of the original Sims. But they did one thing. They said, hey, if your city ever gets a million people in it, however you want to do it, you can build a Mario statue. That was it. And he gave the game an objective. And as a gameplay counselor, I can't tell you how many hundreds of calls I fielded from people who got Sims and said, you gotta help me. I can't get the Mario statue. I can't win unless I get the Mario statue. And of course, the concept of winning was antithetical to Sims, which was the very definition of a toy box. It was literally a box of Legos in digital form, and you just did whatever you want, and... Um, and they just kind of as a gag threw in this Mario statue for Super Nintendo and I pointed to that and I ultimately had more than one meeting with Will Wright um, and I had to convince him that no I know, I know you've always pushed back. You, you know, Maxis is against the idea of objective-driven gameplay or giving players goals and giving them the opportunity to win. And I'm like, look, I lived it. As a 20-year-old, I talked, I, I had people crying on the phone, they couldn't do it. That's how compelling it was. And so we have to do that. And so my two big accomplishments were you know, coming up with a completely new um, controller paradigm and um, interface for consoles, 
which I don't think anybody had done at the time. And then also convincing one of the uh, premier can do whatever the heck they want, quirky offbeat designers and design houses, Maxis of, hey, you know everything you've always fought against? We really need to do that here. So um, once those were done, I was largely off the game. I got that initial stuff going. Now, um, the problem was they always told us, you have no time. We got to get this game out in just under a year. You're not going to have any time. You're not going to have any resources. So my best bet, the okay, if we're going to do objectives, here's what I'm going to say we do is it is 95% Sims, but there is literally, we introduce one thing, a to-do list. The equivalent of, and it's like, oh, hey, anybody in their home life has a, well, got to pick up the kids from school, got to, you know, make sure they get an A, got to get the groceries or whatever. That we literally give players a to-do list that is just a list of simple things that could literally be randomly generated and players feel like, okay, well, once I've done two things, hey, I unlock three, four and I get a special bonus and now I can put a lamp or I can build the second floor or whatever it is. <laughs> get a lamp. You know, yeah, it's just like, uh, you know, we, we uh, gate things behind completing these objectives would be a very simple system. The reason I pitched that was because with the budget and schedule they gave us, that was literally the only thing that was possible. There was nothing else we could do. And now I got nonstop pushback from EA. It was actually a producer at EA, not at Maxis, who was on board with me and said, yeah, objectives are the thing, but you can't do that. We have to tell stories. We have to you know, get people involved in drama. We have to turn Sims into a real soap opera um, that we've created for them that they can navigate. And I'm like, yeah, that's amazing, but it is impossible with the budget and the schedule and the manpower requisitions that I have. And so I'm still pushing this. And go ahead and do that. And then, okay, when, when that, and I, at some point, I basically stopped working on it day to day because I had Pitfall, the Lost Expedition to work on. Which and was Shark, awesome. Thank you, Honey Pie. Jen, my favorite game I ever did for Jen was Pitfall, the Lost Expedition. Eventually, uh, that EA producer got his way and he got the budget extended and he got the schedule extended. And suddenly, like half of the scripters, we had one scripter. We had the budget for one scripter that we hired and taught how to use the EA scripting system. Again, it was called Edith, this engine. And uh, his name was Tom. He was fantastic. Uh, but he couldn't do it all. It was impossible. And eventually, this EA producer said, hey, you know what? I have recruited half of the uh, Max's staff. They're now working on your game now, doing all the scripting. I'm like, oh, well, if you could have told me that right from the get-go, we would have designed this together and I wouldn't have fought you every step of the way. And, and like... Well, we didn't believe you could actually do the tech anyway, so you couldn't get it. It wasn't until Jason finally came out and said, I've done it! Okay, okay, boom. <laughs> Check written, let's go crazy. And so, ultimately, the original Sims on PlayStation 2 and Xbox and GameCube, um, you know, I, I, I got the initial ball rolling. And once they started going, I did have... I, I gave feedback... Much the same way I give feedback on board games these days when I get a prototype from a publisher. I say, you should really do this out or the other thing. Um, but it was really the baby of that EA producer, really sharp guy. I, you know, I still worked with him off and on. I remember one time I was actually, I made a trip out to Activision to make a presentation. And afterwards I was on the beach at Santa Cruz and I ended up having to do a two hour phone call with him because he was stuck on. So, well, how should this work? What should be the results of this? And we've got this weird conundrum for chapter three, can't lead into chapter. And so occasionally I did some back and forth with him, but Mostly my job was done. So that, to answer your question, Alexa, was um, my involvement with the developing of Sims. Um, and it was a very weird and uh, interesting experiment, and it worked out very, very well. 
And unfortunately, I left Edge of Reality before the really big Sims checks started showing up. Because much to Jen's chagrin, we suffered all the pain and heartache of you know being away from each other for 50 weeks a year. And very rarely did I stick around long enough to get those bonus checks. Yep. Because, oh man, Sims made a lot of money. <clears throat> the console version of Sims. Alrighty. Uh, what are my thoughts about the Sims franchise today? I have not looked at Sims since then. I'm, I'm not, I, don't, I don't know what the situation is with Sims. Uh, it'd probably be very interesting. My thoughts are, why is there not a Sims board game? It's absurd to me that it does not exist. How could that have not... Why hasn't Alderac Entertainment or um, uh, Check Games Edition or somebody or Asmodee gone to EA and said, Hi, you're seeing more and more video games show up uh, like Skyrim. Hey, Skyrim makes a great... I mean, there is no game better suited to turn into board games than The Sims, and yet we still don't have it. It's very confusing to me. Anyway, continuing on, uh, Alex then says, My boyfriend and I are... Hey, honey, this is you. You're up. Heading to the Pacific Northwest, several different areas, Oregon and Washington, for the first time this summer. Are there any board game-related things to do? Or any other recommendations or can't-miss things to do? Well... I don't think you have... I don't think you guys have anything to say about... Portland is really Guardian nice. Games in Portland is great. Uh, if you want to go to my personal mecca, go to oh. Blue Highway Games, which is the game that changed the course of Jen's and my game store. game store. Yeah, because that's where I, they refused to sell me Travel Scrabble and instead sold me a copy of Pandemic, and that changed the course of Jen's and my life. So there's a bunch of great stores, but I couldn't tell you beyond that. Um, no, not really. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, she also added, can't miss things to do in the Pacific Northwest in general. Well, it's so beautiful here, really. Mm -hmm. In the summer. Yeah. There's, um, on Facebook, there's a thing called Only in Your State. Mm. And it has, uh, so you can type in Only in Your State and start following them, whatever, for Washington or Oregon. And they will show, you know, where hot springs are. Or oh, where wow. beautiful waterfalls are or whatever. I mean, so that would be one thing to check out. Um, so, I mean, and the point of that is, hey, these are things you can't get anywhere else. You want the really unique things about this state, go to... What's it called? Only in your state. Only in your do a go to Facebook, do a search for only in your state, and you should be able to get to Washington. Is what you're saying? Yeah. All right. I think they've got one for every state. Okay. Yeah. Are you checking it out? I am checking it out. Only in your state. All right. So if I do I mean, that, it comes to. Well. <laughs> all right. So only in your state is a news and media company. How many things have you heard today? Twenty three hidden gems to explore across the U.S. So oh, and it goes to a web page. I go to that web page, then I can choose my state. Ah. Hey, 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 hey. This is literally onlyinyourstate.com. And apparently, you, there's nothing more enchanting than a winter getaway in this Washington small town. Nothing more enchanting. Over five miles of trails, a unique ecosystem, this underrated Washington State Park, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I think Jen has answered your question, Alexa. <laughs> go to um, onlyinyourstate.com. How long have you known about this? Why haven't we used this? Um, I, well, we have. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, on stuff like, uh, it's places that we've met Dad and Nance for lunches oh. and things like that. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. But now we've got a motorhome, so we will be doing more of this. I imagine so. As we head out. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, obviously, if you're in Seattle, Pike Place Mart. I mean, I don't think we could say anything that just wouldn't be incredibly obvious. Yeah. It's interesting. We had more, I think, unique offbeat things in Malta. Like, you know, like, like going to that salt mine or not the salt mine, but the, the, the salt the quarry, quarry. Yeah. you know, I mean, really weird offbeat things. But honestly, even though we've lived probably more of our adult lives in the Pacific Northwest than anywhere else in the world, 
I think we have a very facile top level. Well, I'll just do these really obvious things that are on everybody's list. Yeah. Well, I think that's always the problem when you live somewhere. Is you yeah. never get a, you don't act like a tourist there. Yep. You have to go somewhere and be a tourist. Yep. Really find the cool stuff. Yep. So okay. be a tourist. There you go. All righty. But anyway, um, onlyinyourstate.com, Alex, I think is going to get you going. All righty. Alan says, listening to my ratings or lack thereof of movies. Rankings. Rankings of la- or lack thereof for movies. Can't remember if you saw this one. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, it was in the title. I didn't copy the title over. It was everything, everywhere, all at once. What did we think? Yeah, it's fantastic. I think it deserves all the hype. It is, of course, a more creatively engaging um, experience than uh, The Multiverse of Madness. Very funny that those two movies came out within a few weeks of each other. And yeah, I absolutely loved it. Jen, we're uh, Jen. Uh, one of her friends said, boy, everybody needs to see this. And Jen said, have we watched it? And I'm like, yes, honey, probably we did. And I described pretty much the whole thing to her and she didn't remember any of it. So clearly they've no, and in fact, she didn't want to watch it. I kind of made her watch it. And I think at the end she regretted and said, yeah, I guess that was better than I thought it was going to be. Um, which is too bad because I, I I think it is it is an incredible rapturous joy of discovery everything everywhere all at once and it deserves all the kudos it gets. Alan, Darren says watching you in the Gen half of the last podcast you look tired and depressed. Hope you're okay. What? Is that the non rotto Richard we saw there? I don't know, Darren. Let's take a look. Um, let's see. What was it the last podcast said right? So that's rtt.rotto.com. Let's go back over to the browser. And uh, that was this that he said last well, month. I was sick. You might have been getting sick. Were you yeah, sick? Be... Oh, all right. So let's just skip over to. Uh, here we go. Um, I don't know what do you think, Honey Pie. I mean, not listening to myself. I, I, I it's weird. I kind of look like I maybe just been crying a little bit. Of course, maybe I have. You never know with this podcast. <laughs> uh, let's see. Have to, let's start out you with. Can you tell this is the Gen part because I'm on the screen there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Um, so I think, I think, is this where we started? Cause I don't know, maybe there was, I mean, although if there was, I'm sure, um, that Darren would have noted. Yeah, of course you, you cried that time, but okay. So do I look more tired and or depressed there to you, honey pie? It's interesting. I mean, I do, is, is, are the shadows in my eyes a bit more, you know what? I look a lot more pale. You do. Look I look very pale there, which is going to be a trick of the lighting. Um, I remember just recently we had talked about how you had this weird coloration yes. in your cheeks. That's true. Now, I always have a bit of coloration. I mean, I've got it right now. But, I mean, it was, yeah, a couple of weeks ago you said, wow, that weird brown spot on your cheeks is really super pronounced. Yeah. And, I mean, you, you can see it right now a little bit. Um, and it's not like you can, I mean, you can kind of see it there, too. Well, what's the date on this? When did you uh, When was this posted? This was posted, postado. Um, I say I need to go to the actual video, not the playlist, because the playlist won't tell me. This was. Would you just? Would you just? No, YouTube. Just let me go to the video. No, not the playlist. YouTube. Jeez. <laughs> All right, there we go. All right, if I just close, bring it down a bit. Okay, now I've shrunk it down too much, and you won't let me go. Um, oh, for the love of God. Four weeks ago. Four weeks ago. Yes, it doesn't say when. Well, I don't know. I know. I was coming down with the flu you might have also been coming down with the flu you had the flu four weeks ago has it been with us that long i don't remember i mean I, i'm sure i would have talked about it and said oh by the way folks jen's a little under the weather and i'm sure jen, darren said well hey if jen said she was on the way so I, I bet we didn't talk about it or else darren would have pointed that out but yeah i mean just comparing this video to that video i just look significantly more pale and i think that is maybe accentuating 
That would be my best guess. Yeah. Right? What do you think? But I feel like I'm looking at this and I feel like I'm crying the whole time. I feel like my eyes are wetter than normal. And I guess maybe, again, that's just a reflection of the paleness. That's my best guess. I don't know. Um, but no, I, I don't think I was tired or depressed. Yeah, looking at that now, I can see you and you. Oh, yeah. It's not that different. A little bit more pale. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Um, you even wearing a green shirt? Oh, yes, yeah. Yes, I am. Well, I, I wear a lot of green shirts. I have a lot of green shirts. But I don't know. What do you What do you think? I mean, I feel like the contrast is sharper here, so things are more distinct. But yeah, I mean, I don't. Know. I seem very animated and agitated, like normal. <laughs> but I do feel like my eyes look like they. I think maybe they do kind of look like they're tired. And I couldn't tell you what that was, Darren. I don't know. I don't recall. Generally speaking, if I'm down, I'll just come right out and say it. As I've been mentioning several times for the last few weeks, that I mean, I'm going to be a bit more low energy because I'm getting over this stupid flu. But I don't remember there being any particular problem. So, Darren, I don't know. I'm not saying it wasn't there, but it wasn't me, babe. Um, Gerald says, uh, this is not one for Jan. Would I watch the X-Men animated series from the 1990s? Uh, do I think I would enjoy it more today than I did um, with Marvel during my childhood? Well, it wasn't during my childhood. It was during my adulthood. In the 90s, I was in my 20s. Um, Anyway, during your childhood, as you probably are more concerned about Discrimination Day than Yonks Ago, the subject of X-Men are all about. Oh, I mean, I, again, I've never really watched the X-Men, so I, I guess that makes sense that they probably were a bit more mature than other 90s-era cartoons because they tried to stay true to using mutants as an allegory for race relations and all of that. And that's great if they did that. But honestly, no, I think, if anything, I would appreciate it less because honestly... Between you and me, and don't tell anybody else, Gerald, because uh, I will have my geek license revoked. I can't go back and watch the old um, Paul Dini uh, Batman the Animated Series that I thought was so great. And it was, of course, incredibly um, innovative and ahead of its time and all of that and really influential. But yeah, I, to me, they, they, they do still feel too, uh, you know, for kids. And I imagine X-Men would feel even more so. And I know the X-Men Animated Series is coming back. It's actually a pure sequel to wherever the original series was, and that's great for people. But I've never cared for the X-Men. I've just never really drawn me in. It's not entirely true. For a brief window, I was kind of into X-Men in the, I think, the early 80s because I had some little black-and-white X-Men collection comics of all new X-Men, like one through three with Krakoa. And as a kid, I thought, oh, that's really cool. But it's just because it's the only comic book I had, and I read it over and over again. But it's only because I didn't have comics that I really would have preferred, like Spider-Man or whatever. It's nothing against X-Men. They're great. But they just never pulled me in. I was really into the New Mutants for a while, back when Bill Senkowitz was the artist. But that was mostly because of Bill Senkowitz's art, not the actual characters of the writing. Sorry, Honey Pie. We'll find one for you. All right. Joe says, uh, this is not gaming related. I was wondering, have you watched the new show, Alaska Daily? It centers around missing, murdered indigenous women. Huh? It is a very cool show. If you have seen it, what are your thoughts? If not, I can recommend it. I am aware of it, if I recall correctly. Doesn't it star... The um, really acclaimed Academy Award winning actress uh, who was in the boxing movie, I cannot think of it, and the uh, the uh, transgender movie, um, Boys Don't Cry, right? Oh, who is that actress who is amazing? Hillary Swank, is that right? Now I gotta look it up. Tell you what, we're gonna pause. I haven't watched it. We're gonna watch the trailer so Jen can have something to say about it. Okay, just watch the trailer. It was Hillary Swank. My memory did not fail me. Honey Pie. We have not watched it. Um, what are your thoughts, though, having watched the trailer? I would like to watch it. Wow, really? Yeah, I think it looks good. It looks like a couple of strong female leads. Hopefully, 
kicking, took us and taking names and. Mm -hmm. See, here's the thing. I was aware of the show, and I'm a huge Hillary Swank fan, and I had watched the trailer. The trailer seemed to me a little pat. It, in my experience... Well, the first trailer was... Nothing. Well, the first trailer, that was a teaser. But in my experience, it's, it's, it's a really common go-to for dramatic, to me, false dramatic... Um, uh, content to say, oh, there's a new person that questions everything and no one will listen to them and they got a fight uphill. And it's like, you know, I've been the new person in a lot of places. And generally, people are excited to hear about new ideas. Uh, and people tend to want to work together more than to get, oh, you're stepping on my territory. And, this, and, and to me, that always rings false. It's very rare that that is actually earned. And I am generally more engaged and enthused and excited about dramas where, you know what? A bunch of really smart people work together yeah. right from the get-go. And all of that just filler BS just isn't there because I don't think it is as prevalent in real life as Hollywood would like one to think it is because it makes for sure cheap, easy drama. Yeah. And that trailer kind of turned me off because it went through those beats of, okay, the, you know, the, the bitter local journalist who thinks, well, I, I don't need your help. And like, yeah, you freaking do. And she's freaking brilliant. You should be excited to have her help you. And, and, and again, I'm not saying it's not earned, but I mean, to me, that just always, so uh, when I watched the trailer, that kind of turned me off uh, just because it's so pat. It's so by the book. There was an amazing miniseries on Netflix. Oh, what was it? Which was about two female lead detectives. Uh, and uh, apparently oh, it was, it yeah, was the, the, um, really sexy lady. You're talking about, um... You, well, you didn't watch this with me. I watched it without you. Did, uh, oh, what's her name? Okay, you're going to have to pause. We'll have to figure this out. Uh, all right. We'll be right back, folks. Um... Okay, found the shows. The one I was referring to is Unbelievable, which is amazing. I did not watch it with Jen because it is incredibly heavy and incredibly harrowing and hard to watch. But it has two lead detectives who respect each other and understand each other. And where they do have friction... It comes about from a natural way because one is incredibly junior and the other is grizzled and senior. Um, and the, to me, the uh, conflict between them always felt natural, and yet they worked together and they did, nothing felt false. Um, unlike the okay, we well, gotta take the box, the the old uh, the person who's been there, or, you know. So that was my problem with Alaska Daily. Plus, I figured Jen wouldn't want to watch it because of the fairly heavy subject matter dealing with murdered and missing Indigenous women, which I very much respect and I think that's fantastic that this series is shining a spotlight on it to a much lesser extent than I try to do by wearing t-shirts and raising lots of money for um, you know uh, so I think that's all amazing but uh, anyway that was why I never actually watched it because the trailer kind of turned me off and maybe that was unfair as what the marketing department decided to play up maybe that's only a very tiny element of the actual show well, I like that it said that women come here to reinvent themselves yeah. mm -hmm. and disappear from maybe something yeah. that was negative in their mm -hmm. lives. Mm -hmm. So who knows how much of it's murder and how much of it. It's true. It's true. So you still want to give it a go? I would at least give it a try. Right. Okay. Well, um, I like strong female characters. Ask again in a few months, Joe, and we'll be able to tell you. And in the meantime, Unbelievable is amazing, but incredibly hard to watch. And Jen's favorite, the one she was thinking well, of. I favorite, but I, I did enjoy it. No, you really enjoyed A Rebel yeah. uh, starring Katie Seagal uh, as a uh, kind of a a fictionalized version of Aaron Brockovich. Like, what did Aaron Brockovich do after the movie was over and she kept on doing the stuff? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, thank you for the question, Joe. It is now on the short list. Okay. Lance says, 
The way you say innovative is so interesting and it hits the ears in a sharp way. Just curious, is that something that comes across from living in England? I believe it is. Honey Pie, could you say that word for me? Innovative. See, I can't say innovative. That just sounds wrong to me. That sounds so weird and clunky and broken. Innovative. It sounded okay when you say it, but coming out, I mean, <laughs> does it sound right when I say it? Yeah, you sound great. This is a very innovative. <laughs> This is a very innovative board game. These are really incredibly innovative game mechanisms. That sounds right? Yeah. See, to me, that sounds... I, I can I can barely make my words form <laughs> to say that. And I know it's because it said innovative in England, and it, somehow I picked that up. Because yeah. I'm sure I did not say that before we lived in England. Because uh, that was Lance's question. Is something picked up from living in England? Are there other changes to the way we picked up from where we uh, lived? Uh, Lance is from Texas and curious about our time in Austin uh, if we ended up using y'all. I love y'all. I believe you made a conscious, concerted effort to try to start using y'all, but you could never really internalize it, right? Well, we were only there for three years, but yeah. I use it more in, in typing. Oh, I sure, sure, sure. Verbal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did you pick up any ticks? I don't think I picked up any ticks in, uh, you know, from living, what was it, three or four or five years, however long we lived in Texas. No, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, y'all is just such an incredibly useful phrase. It is. It's so inclusive and yeah. so friendly and yep, yep, yep. very warm. Gender agnostic. It's just it's just perfect. Uh, but it you know, trying to use it in casual conversation, it feels very twangy and it and instantly just feels like, oh, I'm am I doing a parody of somebody from Texas kind of a thing. Yeah. It just it I, I, I don't think unless unless that's part of your overall aesthetic, it just doesn't feel natural coming out of one's mouth. But you're right, using in writing, I think it probably works very well. Yeah. Um now the, I can't remember what. I remember there was definitely at least one word that you say weird now because we lived in England. And I pointed it out to you in the past that honey, you're not in England anymore. You don't have to say that. Do you remember what it is? I can't remember it now. I don't know. I know there was one, and you know the equivalent of me saying innovative, uh, but I couldn't tell you what it was. Shoot, you don't remember at all. I don't. Because it was just that one word, but I don't remember. Uh, I'll have to keep an ear out for it. Or maybe Jen has <laughs> stopped doing it eventually. Maybe she's finally got it out of her system. But I can't shake innovative because innovative, that literally just sounds broken to me. Well, I mean, like they say aluminium. Yeah, I did not pick up aluminium. That, that always struck me as ridiculous. Yeah, that was... Um, anyway, though. Moving right along, Priscilla says, how do you and Jen like eggs in the morning? Oh, we love them. But how? Anyway, any which way. Pick one. All right, mainly fried or in quiche. Wow, you went straight to fried. Because I was going to say fried is my preferred. I know it is. How did you know that? Because <laughs> I've lived with you for <laughs> I wouldn't have said years. you. I wouldn't have assumed fried for you, though. I would honestly, I would have assumed because you generally tend to make quiche, but I guess that's just because it's easier. It's so much easier. It's low, much, it's more low maintenance. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. But what about, uh, I mean, scrambled or um, yeah, what else is there? Is there's so over easy and there's sunny side up and there's poached. poached. My sister loves poached. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just, I think, yeah, I mean, yeah. quiche is easiest. Yeah. Just because it's pretty much, you just put them in there and you walk away. Yep. And Mix it, it all and up. Just, yeah. Let it bake. Um, yeah. But I mean, fried. Fried, especially with just like a little bit of runny yolk still. Just a little bit, just a little bit. I know, especially if you're going to have toast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess we agree. Um, are, are there any ways we can do eggs that we're not thinking of? Deviled oh. eggs are wonderful. I love That's true. Egg Deviled eggs are fantastic. Let's see here. All right, here's a list. Boiled, scrambled, poached, baked, basted, fried, sheared, oh, coddled, sure pickled, <laughs> um, omelets, quiche, frittata, soufflés. 
Uh, hundred ways to cook what an egg. What is shirred? Yeah, I don't know what shirred is. What are uh, eggs? I S H I R R E D. Um, looks like a soup. Shirred eggs. Get crap. Just could you, I don't want to actually make the thing. What is the meaning of shirred eggs? Cooked individually in cream and butter in a small ramekin. Oh. Well, I'm very interested in that. <laughs> it's basically poached, but in butter. Um, yeah. Let's try that. <laughs> that sounds really cool. I like cream. I like butter. I like eggs. Yeah, well, you get to do all the dishes then. Maybe it's really... You, you mix it up, pour it into a ramekin. Or mix it I don't know. Well, I might have a new favorite one. Um, what else have we got? All righty. I just need a picture of everything. I mean, omelets are nice. Omelets are nice, but honestly, I've never really cared that much. No. You know, they always make a big deal at the buffet. Oh, the omelet bar, the omelet bar. I was like, mm, it's going to take forever. Yes. It's not going to be that much better than just the scrambled eggs right over there. Yep. And I can just I can just get the scrambled eggs and the peppers and the ham, and I can just scramble it up together. It's going to yeah, be practically the, the same. It doesn't cook the vegetables if you just throw vegetables onto it. Well, no, I'm, well I'm assuming eggs. they're already cooked, yeah. Uh, asparagus, uh, quiche, um, Bernays sauce. I love Bernays sauce. Um, what oh, go away advertisement? Uh, shrimp carbonara. Ooh, Wait a minute, yeah. what is it? Oh, well, yeah, I guess eggs are in carbonara, of course. Yes, a carbonara that is the only way to have our <laughs> breakfast eggs is carbonara, obviously. Okay, this is getting, I mean, this is not this is having it, yeah, this is things that have eggs in them. Um, 15 ways, okay, so just show me a picture of all of them. Alrighty, oh, so hard boiled. Um, hard boils are fine, I got no problem with them. It's, I, I hate having to get the shell off though, that's that's too much of a pain. Um, soft boiled. What is soft boiled? It just—it's the same as hard boiled, but just the yolk is still runny. Oh, okay. All right. Hard scrambled. Um, soft scrambled. I do not like soft scrambled. I do not like wet. Oh, soft scrambled is where they put a bunch of stuff in. I don't know, but I think it's when it's still. Well, wet. look at it. I mean, it's like bunches of butter and stuff. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, that's kind of like what you get at a Denny's or something like that. Yeah. And uh, my aunt Darlene, when we were growing up, she—that's how she did eggs, and it was such a cool treat because this is—it was so different than what my mom did. So I kind of have a nice uh, nostalgia soft spot for it. Perfect scrambled eggs, uh, which all right, omelets and frittatas. Right, and the, you know, those are fine. Yeah. I guess I kind of like the idea of the frittata, just throwing a bunch of stuff, and it's kind of like a taco. That's kind of nice. Mm. Scrambled and hash, quiche, of course, just because of the convenience factor. Sunny side up. I'm not a big fan. No, if it's too runny and it's like going all over the place, I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. Over easy. Again, it's okay, but still not a fan. Again, too much of a mess. Over medium, then you're getting into reasonable stuff. Over yeah. hard. Um, well, isn't that just fried? All right, so what is poached? Poached is when you do it in water. When you do it in water? Yeah. Oh. So basically it's in a water bath, and so um, it, it's very soft edges. Like fried gives you those kind of crispy yeah, edges Yeah, which we, I think we both prefer. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I ever had poached, but it doesn't sound great. Baked or sheared. Uh, sheared refers to the flat bottom dish in which they're cooked. Uh, mixed with other ingredients. I mean, that sounds... I mean, so we've never tried that, right? Sounds interesting. Well, you know, I think I did some microwaved eggs for a while there, yeah. and... You know, you put a little bit of cheese in the bottom and a little bit of bacon and you throw an egg in there. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's kind of sure. Apparently this is basted. So you're uh, using it to steam cook the top. Steam cook, yeah. Uh, liquid or steam is used to thoroughly cook the egg without flipping. Oh. I guess that'd be interesting, but I don't think that's particularly appealing. Uh, Spanish fried eggs, which I guess is what we like because that's the first use of fried. Coddled eggs. Oh, wow. Uh, cracked into a small cup or ramekin, heated in a water bath just below boiling. Depends on how long you cook them. Can achieve something akin to easy, medium, or hard yolks. Fancy with uh, 
Bean, all right, or use simple porcelain. I don't know. I guess that'd be interesting. They're wonderfully creamy. Yeah. So that seems cool. That seems kind of nice. It says again, meaning to... they're not overcooked, so they're going to be really moist. Oh, which again, you don't particularly care for. I don't. Creamed eggs, reminiscent of creamed chiff beef on toast, uh, diced hard-boiled eggs with a white gravy made from bechamel sauce and yeah, served on this toast. Is, this is not that. That's something else. That's obviously not that. Well, I that's, guess that's it right there. That's creamed eggs. Oh. Oh, is this coddled eggs? I guess so. Well, anyway. Um, a lot of ways to do it. The 62-degree egg. Uh, special equipment, like in an yeah, immersion uh, circulator. Yeah, you barely got the white cooked on that. Yeah. Fried. Okay. We've seen them all, and I think we both still appreciate fried the most. Is that correct? Yeah. All righty, Priscilla. Now you know. If you ever come and visit, you know what we expect. <laughs> and you know what to expect. Yep. Probably quiche, Probably unless quiche. unless you get lucky. Um, and you get them some nice fried eggs. Okay. Uh, Ryan says, I was wondering if you've seen the short film The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse, based on the book of the same name by Charlie Mackesee. I'd appreciate hearing your thoughts. If not, I think it's right up Jen's alley, and you should check it out. Ooh. Well, you know what's going to happen. We're going to pause, <laughs> and we're going to watch the trailer, because... A few months ago, I just tried... We actually watched the trailer recording, and I got demonetized. So now, folks, you can go watch that trailer and join us in a second, because I have not seen the... All right, so we'll be right back and tell you what we think, Ryan. Okay, now dry eye in the house. What do you think of the trailer? <laughs> I think that look, looks interesting. I'll enjoy watching it, but I already like the art style very much. Yes, it looks beautiful. beautiful. Like watercolors come to life. Yep. Um, actually, coincidentally, I have art from the original book here, by or the cover art. So, yeah, yep, yeah. Um, it's a silly old thing, but always kind of every time I see something like that, why isn't it the girl and the mole and the fox? Why is it always the boy? Maybe well, this is an old book that was, yeah, I suppose so. Um, it just always strikes me. I mean, 90% of all media is still male led, it's always whether they're anthropomorphized animals or humans, 50% of the planet is more than 50%, more than 50% of the planet is women. Why isn't it the girl, Anne? But still, it looks absolutely beautiful. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's a, a wonderful, charming, and heartwarming film about finding yourself and acceptance in others based on the trailer. Uh, or, you know, accepting yourself in others and others and all that. And I don't know. I, it, 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 I guess it's a child's uh, a book for kids. So I don't know if it maybe be a little bit light. Simplistic. Yeah, maybe. But it still it looks like it'll be stunning to look at, if nothing else. So, thank you for the suggestion. Yep. Ryan, we're getting all kinds of good suggestions this month. Okay, Shonks is back. Oh, hi, Shonks. Shonks says, what are your feelings about the new Discovery Infusion? I'm so excited. Are you aware of the new Discovery of Infusion? Of course I am. Yeah. Yes, they've done it. They've done it! They're, we're hoping that it's repeatable yep. and can be scaled up. Yeah. That, it would be awesome. I mean, that would just solve so... Well, it's not would be. Everything. It will be. It, there's no choice about it. I mean, it works. It physically happens. They, they know it's just a matter, and we are very smart monkeys. We will figure it out, and in 100 years, energy will be clean and free to every human being on the planet. Yep. And what goes hand in hand with it is also cultured meat. That all of our food will be 100% clean um, and green and infinite. Effectively, because we will have infinite energy, we will therefore have infinite food and infinite resources for everybody. That is the reality of our species 100 years from now. If we can make it. If we make it. If we don't blow ourselves up in a nuclear war. Um, and unfortunately, it's also the reality 100 years from now that we will have this incredible green future in a world that is not as nice as it should be. 
And it's a good thing we'll have that because we'll have such incredible widespread suffering because of climate, refugees, and all the rest of it. Yes, but actually there are some good yeah. news. There's some good news. Yes, there's always good news. Yep. That's true. Um, they were saying, I just saw, I, I can't remember exactly where, but it was on a Facebook link, that um, basically they figured out that the ozone layer over yeah. China mm-hmm. will be fixed in a couple of decades. Yep. I mean, that's amazing. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. And that's, so, just, that's 20 years away. Yeah. Provided we don't blow ourselves up, we will ultimately fix everything. But these are generational projects. And, uh, yeah, and so if it's, we could just sort this out right now and stop progressing down this road, it would be very helpful. Yeah. For folks who don't know, fusion, which is an alternative form of generating energy from, you know, messing around with the atomic structure of reality, uh, is uh, they've done it. They, for the first time ever, after decades of work, have been able to create more energy than it cost. It cost X amount of energy, and they created X plus 5. Um, for a very brief window, that we literally created something out of effectively nothing. And now all that has to be done is scaled up to uh, support billions of people. And that will happen. And that's, that is the future. Um, certainly one that I hope to live for. Uh, Shonksen asks, I appreciate your positivity and passion for games. How do you maintain that perspective and keep from getting negative and cynical? Oh, I didn't finish your sentence. Passion for games in the community. How do you keep from uh, getting negative and cynical? Stay away from the community. <laughs> for, uh, for starters, uh, at the end of the day, I used to be I used to be a regular on Reddit. I used to be a regular on Board Game Geek. I used to be a regular on Twitter. And at the end of the day, w- as a species, we have not mastered the art of interaction online. Ninety percent of all horrific flame wars wouldn't have existed if they were just people. If the exact same people were um, in in a booth at a restaurant talking rather than yeah. through the internet. I mean, have you even seen those videos of dogs and they're separated by a fence and they're they're back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the camera pulls back a little bit and you can see that there it's it's just a panel, and and there's actually an open. And then the dog goes around the panel and has a drink of water, and the, the, they're both just fine. Yeah, and the other and one then, sniffs the other's butt, and, yep, and then, then everything's fine. And then comes back around to the other side of the panel, and they're back. <coughs> yep. Yeah. So yeah, I honestly, I I I try to. I mean, I, it was ultimately a self defense mechanism that I had to walk away from most board game communities. I mean, I'm still on Board Game Geek, but the sole reason I am there is to learn information about games and not interact with people. I mean, it's not, you know, all, you know, all credit to Board Game Geek. They worked really, really hard to try to stifle out all that cynicism and negativity that just feeds because human beings, we are hardwired to respond to bad news. Because when we were cavemen and women, uh, when we were monkeys, um, bad news, paying attention to bad news, keeps us alive. Yep. Paying attention to good news is, oh, yeah, that's great. Who cares? I'm, I'm not really worried because I don't have a concept of tomorrow. Um, and I don't have a, something. I mean, and so our brains on the deep, you know, amygdala level or whatever it is, are hard Oh, bad news? Yes. More of that, please. It's like a drug. And so, um, you know, I mean, they always, there's all these quotes how negative news stories or lies spread with like five times the speed of telling the truth online. Just as a species, we don't get it. We do not understand. Um, We've got maybe 
what is the new generation? I think the new generation is the alpha generation. I saw a news article where I think it was Swedish schools. They have now put uh, into yes. their curriculum the concept of how to identify disinformation. Yep or misinformation, how to identify lies. And so kids are being taught that. So again, like before, this is a generational project. I'm sure this happened with the invention of the printing press. I am sure this happened on a smaller scale, but we were a smaller scale species back then, with the invention of clay tablets. <laughs> Fake news, they scratch out on the clay tablet, and suddenly lies could spread faster than the truth because that's what we are hardwired to respond to. And ultimately, just for my own sanity, I had to unplug. I recently unplugged from Twitter. Uh, you know, with all of Elon's ridiculous, just absurdity, and that's putting it kindly. I'm like, I, the more, every time I log on to this site, I am giving him money. I am saying I financially support the decisions he is making. And it was, I was just like, okay, fine. I, nothing here makes me happy. Um, and why am I staying here and financially supporting this by occasionally seeing ads? So I turned that off. I am happier for it, as will. 99% of all people on Twitter would be happier people if they literally just logged off and walked away. Same for Facebook. Oh. Uh, Facebook isn't as bad because Facebook was born from the idea of, no, you are there for your friends. And friends and family, it's fine. Um, the problem is, Facebook, when you go to Facebook.com, it doesn't give you your feed. You have to go out of your way to find a feed of, just tell me what my friends and family have said in the order they've said it. Yep. It obscures that and hides that from you, so it instead, it can feed you garbage. Now, of course, your friends and family might feed you garbage, too. But at least if it's coming from your friends and family, it's something that you can internalize a different way. But, um, yeah, it's, it's best just to get away from all this stuff and let the Gen Alpha... Um, you know, educate them how to be better citizens online, how to see through the BS. And um, in a couple of generations, the internet will be as valuable a uh, communication tool as the clay tablet and uh, the, the printing press and all the rest of it. Oh, so I was, uh, oh, yeah, I was looking around for my words of wisdom. Yes, we haven't got to Jen's words of wisdom yet. Yeah. I mean, it took her like, like 40 minutes to find her words of wisdom this month. Well, but apparently you found something on the way. Do you just want to switch to that one or do you want to no, have a bonus words of wisdom? Uh, if I can. If you can find it. Yeah. Um, you want to pause for a sec? Uh, yeah, just All a right. second. Well, Jen gave a good college try and it's disappeared. She saw it three or four times in her feed and now... It's gone. It's gone forever. But essentially it was basically, hey, if you're feeling unhappy or distressed, do not turn to the news media. Don't turn to your Facebook feed even. Rather, just go out and take a walk in nature because nature has no agenda and no reason to sell you anxiety and fear. Yes. That's the thing. Um, media sells, media peddles anxiety and fear. And that includes board game media too, uh, when it boils right down to it. And life is too short to just play more games, have fun. Uh, try to focus on, you know, beacons of positivity. Um, and if there's people who are criticizing stuff, focus on the ones who criticize with positivity, as opposed to just assume the worst of others. Um, saying, well, you know what? Hey, uh, this is how I would have done it. I would have liked to have seen this or the other. Maybe in the future you could do, you could say it that way. You could say, oh, this was a bad thing for done by a bad person, you know, whatever. So I, I'm just, <gasps> you do not need to keep as soon as you see any whiff of negativity, um, 
Go the other way. Yeah. Is it is it doing you any good? Is kind of the way I tend to look at it. Um, righty. Uh, okay. I see you guys are fans of British TV. Uh, do you watch Taskmaster? Would I Lie or QI? My wife and I are suckers for panel shows. I don't think we've ever watched a panel show. They're very popular. It's just like a bunch of mid-tier celebrities, comedians, and whatnot, and they sit on a panel and answer questions every week. Um, Kind of like what we do. (laughs) uh, Yes, I guess. uh, Yeah, actually. So those are very popular in England. We never really got into those. Um, Do you have any suggestions for UK shows? We love Black Books, Miranda, Downton Abbey. We just finished Ted Lasso. Not sure if that's really British TV, but it felt like it. Yeah. It's not, but yeah, we'll we'll, we'll give it a pass. Yeah, Um, well, of course, there's all of the wonderful making it shows there's the great pottery throwdown there's a new thing called making it at the market i think make it make it at market yeah um which has gotten a little repetitive but Mm. maybe it's just because i've sort of been watching one a night yeah it's basically uh a young or an unexperienced maker is getting some tutorage and counseling about how to build their business and it kind of briefly follows them over an eight-week period yeah and unfortunately they kind of get the same advice over and over again yeah yep Teach some classes, get your stuff in some galleries, and, um, oh, by the way, we've got a show for you. <laughs> yep. Your, your work's going to be in this show. Yep, and then their lives are turned around. Yeah. I mean, it's um, there's the woodworking show. Oh, yeah. What's that called? Oh, I don't remember. But there's one where they go out into the woods, literally the woods, and make it. Um, uh, and then there's... No, the glass one is here in the States. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, basically, we still own our house in England. Yeah. And because of that, there is we still effectively have a TV license in England um, that's really kind of covered by you know the, the rent. And so we can basically use that plus uh, NordVPN. That's the VPN we use to trick the internet into thinking we're in England. So we can just go to ITV.com or BBC.com or Channel 4 or Channel 5.com and just you know watch all these shows because as near as I can tell, we're in England and I can give our address uh, if I need to for licensed stuff, which is mostly BBC stuff. And and um, we don't really watch many dramas or comedies or anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's mostly like uh, travel shows and, and craft shows. Yeah. Like uh, right now, Jen's really hooked on Breaking Dad. Mainly because they're driving this huge motorhome around. It is Europe. practically the same model motorhome as us. Yep. And yet they're driving it through European streets and it confounds us. Yes, and the new season just started where they're driving through Mexico, hmm. which we have yet to start watching. Um, like you really like this, that's... Susan Kalman can be a bit much. Yeah, a little bit of her at a time is fine. Yeah, so you like it when she's riding around in a motorhome, but again, mostly because she's riding around in... um... Going to see what's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, We like uh, Kirstie Alley and in her shows. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kirstie Alley and and Phil Spencer. Phil Spencer, yes. Is it Spencer? It is. Well done. Uh, Yeah. The Love It or Listed show and the... Oh, we like Grand Designs. That's a lot of work that we never have to do. <laughs> and you get the satisfaction yeah. of somebody building a house. A lot of crazy rich people. Yeah. Um, we like, there's there's usually other famous celebrities that are driving around like Ireland or Scotland or yeah. whatever. So Yeah, lots of travel shows, lots of crafting shows, lots of building shows, real estate shows. Not actual 
Tabloid. Clarkson's type. Farm. Oh, Jen loved Clarkson's Farm. Oh my God, she that was could hilarious. not stop laughing. Yes, I mean, you gotta watch I've never that. seen her laugh as hard as Clarkson's Farm. Um, and uh, yeah, but not really much in the way of dramas or anything like that. There was that like sci- there was that sci-fi time loop one that I've talked about <gasps> before yes, on the podcast. Good. That was amazing. I can't think of the name of it now. But uh, yeah, sorry. We I mean. I don't know if that, from what you listed, seems like we're not necessarily watching the kind of stuff you watch, uh, Shonks. All right, um, next up, Shonks says, My wife is on the first steps of transitioning from full-time, mind-numbing job into the world of handmade crafts. Do you have any advice for the beginning of that process? We're thinking local crafts favors and perhaps Etsy for now, but I figured I'd ask a seasoned pro for their thoughts and advice. I guess, can I suggest a British show (laughs) called Make It, is it Make It At Market? Let's look it up. Uh, make it at market. Yep, make it at market. Uh, I'm assuming you're in England. It is on BBC One. Uh, the first season looks like it's going to have 10 or 12 episodes. And uh, no, 15 episodes. Ooh. And every week, it's a different crafter. Hey, she glow- blows glass. Hey, they restore antique furniture or whatever it is. And um, it's really kind of a, oh, look at them and get to know them, uh, how they got started. And then... Again, yeah. like I said, it's largely think... a repeat of the same type of stuff. The same type of stuff you just mentioned. Yeah. What is your wife going to be making? Um, right back and let us know. Handmade crafts. I know, but... Of an undetermined size. He'll, hopefully he'll tell Well, whatever it is, sense. chances are, over 15 episodes, they will make it at market, and they will tell your wife exactly what to do. Yes. Um, It'll be, hold courses, <laughs> get your stuff into galleries, yep. and get on a show like this. Local craft fairs, and perhaps Etsy for now. Uh, I mean, there's something in England actually called Folksy that's more um, for the European market. Instead of Etsy? F O L K S. If you were in England right now, you would be trying to sell your stuff through. You would, I assume you'd still try to sell internationally to Etsy, but you would be also on Folksy? Um, I think I would just also have a Folksy site. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. Why aren't you? I mean, oh, because it's too expensive to send stuff to from America because yeah, of all the reaction really costs. Yeah, yeah. But also, um, she might want to get on Facebook. There are a lot of groups that are specifically people who like whatever this particular you know, like. So for me, it's lamp working, lamp working groups of of people, and they're they range these groups range from say two thousand to fifteen thousand members, and basically we just do trunk shows on on Facebook. Say that word again. Trunk shows. Tell people what trunk show is. A trunk show is where um, basically you get a day or two where you have everybody's, um, you get you get the site, you get that, that group, and you can put pictures of your work online and sell them directly to the members of the group. So you're usually juried in to the group. Um, you know, there's a moder- moderator of the group who keeps an eye on things. Um, people who are members of the group have said, everybody agrees to the same rules, like, you know, be polite, be nice. Hmm. Pay, if you bid on something, actually pay for it. <laughs> Those kinds of things. Um, but it, it's really wonderful. <coughs> I cannot believe that Facebook hasn't somehow monetized this. Really? Because we don't pay any fees to Facebook for the sales that happen on the Because group. these are just private groups. Yeah, they're Are just they invite groups. groups, so you have to get invited yes. in, or you have to say, I'd like to join your group, and then you wait a few days and... Yes, and you answer a couple of questions, like, are you a maker, are you a seller, are you a collector, what are you, you know, what what, what are you hoping to get out are of Are these called group? a particular type of group? No, I think if you just get on um, Facebook and type in, well, let's see. Pause a minute, let's see if we can find one. All right, facebook.com, boom. <laughs> All right. Pick a pick a craft. Lampwork glass beans. Well, that's your craft. Pick whatever. Well, I not, don't know we what don't know doing. what um, Shonks' wife is doing, but 
Well, I mean, you this, already know yours ones. I know, but that's why I'm saying, because I, I know how to find mine. So if we just type in lamp or glass beads, we can see if the ones that I'm familiar with come up. All right. I think we should try to find one that you don't know. All right. Lamp or glass beads. Thinks about it for a bit. There's the Lampwork Bead Market. Yep. There's the Lampwork Techs Tips and Techniques and Questions okay, Group. That's not a the Glass Bead Jewelry Making Supplies for Sale. And then these are people's individual pages, but they're, they're not seeing that on there. Oh, right. Sorry. Um, boom. So, uh, but yeah, right off the top, Lampwork Bead Market. Is this yeah. a place that you yeah. sell your stuff? Um, I'm a member, but I haven't actually sold through there. But you can see there's 18,000 members. Mm -hmm. They have a 10 plus posts a day. Um, Let's see. So Lampwork Swap and Sell. I'm not a member of that. Um, D-Stash. This is a group that I often buy um, unavailable glass colors. Any, any, I'm, they can't see me pointing at it. But anyway. Um, no, they can't. No. They can't see my mouse. Oh, because I haven't highlighted. There we go. All right. So I can point, point at things and I'll point at things on your behalf, honey pie. Okay. Although, again, the people listening can't see. So pretend you are talking to somebody on the phone. Okay. When you're doing this. Okay, so then the Lampwork glass beads and enameled components, artisan Lampwork beads and components for sale. So yeah, you would just find these kinds of groups right. in whatever your craft but is. But you have chosen um, one that obviously there's a lot of heat for. Pick another craft. Um, pottery. Pottery. I mean like uh, mugs or something. Craft. Let's see what we get. For sale or something. Do, do, do. Eco pottery craft, crafty fun group, craft supplies. Harry Potter, of course, we get a lot of Harry Potter stuff. Um, let's see. Or no, you're. Oh, you said pottery for sale, right? Do that. Or, or do how about handmade mugs for sale? All right. Do 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 handmade. Come on, computer. Oh, there we go. Handmade mugs for sale. Do do do. Crafts Pierce County make sell buy. Hand or vintage buy and sell. Of course, are these. Oh, well, in, there was handmade. Items for sale worldwide. worldwide. Marketplace items for sale. But this is not marketplace. This is, these are just private groups. Mm -hmm. Crafter sale. All right. So let's... Um, England. Since I assume, I'm guessing, Shonks is in England. Well, actually, there's some Lampwork groups that are that I'm involved in that are worldwide or just America, too. Mm -hmm. so. Buy, sell, handmade in the UK. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah. Okay. So apparently there's a bunch of them. So... And that's not a hint you'll get on Make It at Market. Nope. At least they haven't given that hint yet. Nope. I couldn't believe it that this was going on. Well, no. I mean, the thing is, uh, how did you even discover it? Uh, friends. And they said, have you done this yet? And you said, yeah. no, I haven't. Because you now do like a, a sale on these things once every two or three months. And you do almost as much business as the low end of doing the conventions. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, which is which is nice which we I don't can, have to go there, and, and you I don't can have do to. It in my jammies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, so there's some advice from a seasoned pro, Shonks, and more questions, sir. Alrighty, next up, Jen's words of wisdom. Right. So this I thought was pretty good because I am feeling exceptionally cluttered at the moment. Okay. Um, so clutter is the physical manifestation of unmade decisions. Fueled by procrastination. Says Christina Scalise. Yep. So, um, you got to make some decisions? Yes, and Been stop procrastinating. procrastinating. All yep. right. I mean, we have so much stuff from your mom's house that has just yeah. been sitting in a room for what six months yeah, now. Yeah, we we um, and um, it's just this, oh, it's again overhead mm -hmm. in my brain. I mean, when when mom passed on and uh, we were clearing out her stuff, I would say probably what 60, 70 percent of the stuff. 
just went straight went, to, the went to shops. Goodwill charity shops. And I kept arguing, 100% of this stuff should go. Just like, no, we might use this, or you might have that, or this or that or the other. And so we literally have an entire room from floor to ceiling of stuff. It's not floor to ceiling, but it's... it's feels like it. If you, we've probably got about 20 boxes of stuff that is useful, that mm -hmm. will be useful if I want But it could just... be useful for people in a charity shop, too. Yes, I know. Anyway, that was my decision, but I was overruled. Well, so, we got rid of 80% of the stuff. That's a start. That's a start. That is true. Okay, so that was Jen's words of wisdom, and now the moment Jen's been waiting for... Doggos. We have a bunch of dogs Ooh, this week. Goody, 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 goody. Lola, or Bubba as we call her, is our six-year-old American Staffordshire Terrier. She was born deaf, had a rough start, but we adopted her just before her second birthday. She is now the happiest, most loving girl. Sawyer, her almost three-year-old brother, was a street dog in Puerto Rico before we adopted him around five months. He's a true mutt, pit bull, German shepherd, Doberman, chow, husky poodle. <laughs> He's scared of just about everything, but has become the sweetest scaredy boy. All righty, so uh, let's see if you can spot which is which, Lola or Bubba, and uh, well, Lola and uh, Sawyer. All righty. Oh, she's beautiful. Yep, she's a sweetie. Oh. Whoa. <laughs> I love, I love that he's got like um ear tufts. That is what like is a that? dog that was created by artificial intelligence. Yes. That is a mid-journey dog. <laughs> where that is all dogs. The computer just throws them all together. Look at too, under his chin. He's wow. Got like rough. Yep. How cute is That he? is a far out. Yeah, all the weird tufts and geez Louise. That is and I mean, the ears come down here, but then there's all this stuff that should be the ears. Yeah. That is far out. I'm sorry for folks who can't see it. Um, you can go to rnr.rado.com the next time you use your computer, and you will find this episode, and you can just skip right to the end and look at, you know, bask in the, um, the uh, I don't know what to say, of Sawyer. The hairy glory. The glory of Sawyer. Hairy glory. The hairy, the furry glory of Sawyer. Okay. Tufty glory. Tufty glory. All righty, next up, Priscilla oh. says, uh, oh. who, was, who was that who said all this? It was, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't copy and paste. Uh, sometimes I mess up with copy and pasting, but thank you. Those are some awesome pictures. And Lola is And Lola so Bubba sweet. is a sweetie pie, too. Oh. oh, what a pair. Okay. Next up, Priscilla says, we adopted a new dog at the end of October. Her name is Magnolia. She is a cutie patootie. She has some burn scars on her from Aww. someone pouring hot liquid on her when she was a puppy. But she has no issues. Uh, she doesn't even remember it happened. Yep, dogs live in the now. Uh, next up to her is Sister Penny. All righty. Oh, my. Okay. Yep, and you, you can see the scars. But she doesn't care. Well, and maybe we can just say that she was in the wrong place at the wrong time and somebody dropped a teapot on her or something yeah, by accident. Yeah, maybe. One would hope. Let's and see. Penny, uh, two, yeah, uh, Gert and Daisy do this all the time, lying yeah. on top of each well, other. Well, no, Daisy does that Daisy all the time. Daisy does all the lying on top of Gert, it's true. <laughs> yes. um, oh, oh, look at that. Cute. Yep, cutie patootie oh. indeed. Look at that face. And look at that Ewok. <laughs> all righty. Ryan says, Sammy is a black and silver German shepherd, and uh, Maynard is a boxer Great Dane. They're oh. both Jewish. All righty, Sammy and Maynard. I thought you said they're both Jewish. Uh, Two-ish. Two-ish. Yep, they could be Jewish. I don't know. Yeah. Wow, that is a color. beautiful, striking dog. Um, which one? That must be the uh, the Great Dane. Black, black and, and silver, silver Great Dane. Yeah, black, look no, at that. Black and silver German shepherd. Yeah, and yeah, that's it. Four. And Maynard is a boxer Great Dane yes, mix. But that's not a Great Dane. I know. So that's a, I've never seen no, a, a white uh, shepherd like a, that. A white German shepherd. That is she he is awesome. And oh, <laughs> 
I do love a spotty dog. Yep, that is a very high-res picture. That's a dog fancy cover picture. <laughs> oh, and is he deaf? Says deaf. Uh, I deaf? I'm not quite sure. D E A. It looks like on the collar. I don't know. Right. That's uh, right. And um, Shonks is back one more time. Gosh, look at how high the dew claws are on her. Oh my. Yes. My wife is on the first steps of transitioning from full time. All right. Oops. Oh shoot. That was a. That was a bad. Our copy and paste. This is the important thing. Morgan. Morgan oh. is back in the Halloween costume. <laughs> Morgan uh, was rolled out last Aww, month for the first time. Beautiful. Uh, then a pic of her new sweater. If it matches her coat, I have nothing to do with it. My wife gets 100% of the credit. Honestly, I was against putting clothes on her at first. I think a dog's preferred state is au natural, but she loves her clothes. First time I took the sweater off, she picked it up in her teeth, shoved it in my lap, and huffed at me until I put it back on. <laughs> She's bossy, but in a cute way. Wow. that's Yeah, that's very... Have you? Why would a dog want to be clothed? Maybe they're cold. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I mean she doesn't have much fur. It's true. Short-haired dog like that. Yep. Oh. All righty. And Jen, uh, that was so interesting about them being nanny dogs because she treats my son like her own puppy and watches over him. Anytime she makes loud, he makes loud noises or a sound like he's in pain, she races over to him. She doesn't do much uh, after that, given her limitations in speech and hand department. <laughs> but the sounds of her hauling butt through the house definitely tips my wife and off anytime there's an issue. And anytime we're walking, she always keeps an eye on him and makes sure to stand between him and new people. No growling or aggression, just concern. Yep. That's a good dog. Yeah. All righty. And that's it. We had no spoiler questions. So, folks, we are out of here. That was an excellent haul of pictures. By all means, please send dog pictures and stories to questions at rado.com with more questions, as always. And thanks, as always, folks, for hopefully you enjoyed the show. And we'll be back again next month after Jen gets back from Thailand. So, if you have any Thailand questions, you know where to send them. Thailand. I got it. I keep saying Singapore, but it's Thailand. Yep. Okay. So um, that's it, folks. Have a very, very nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.